0: This podcast contains information, theories, and speculation based on the A Song of Ice and Fire novels by George R.R. R. Martin. It can and will spoil future episodes of the HBO television series Game of Thrones. This is your one and only spoiler warning. If you're looking for our non-spoiler podcast on Game of Thrones, please look in our feed archives for our Sunday night instant take and Tuesday afternoon full podcasts, or go to baldmove.com for our entire catalog. Hey, it's Friday, which means it's time for another spoiler edition of our Game of Thrones podcast. Of course, for the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's Game of Thrones, we're on the Bald Move, branding, 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 blah blah blah. I'm your host, Aaron. I'm Jim, and uh, that's what happens when I have to introduce a podcast. Uh, <laughs> so we got a lot to talk about. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to find a new post season five format where we do corrections and then kind of like some observations that i made and then Mm -hmm. and then emails that fit in with that and then just random stuff so first up first uh, corrections there's a corrections thread on the forums uh that uh, gets made each week which is i find helpful um first up is broom person says Willis. uh, This is for last, you know. So this is for the episode before, because it's from the last spoiler edition. Because Willis, who we see in a flashback, actually has the scar, in which modern day Hodor also has. If you'll recall, I went on a big theory about how there could be some physical trauma and the whole Mister Tan and damage to the Broca area of his brain. Uh, And I did look and found a high uh, high res screen capture, and it is it it does appear to be that the young Hodor slash Willis. Has an identical scar pattern that huh. the, the Elder Hodor has. Well, there was that theory. I know that's that's a theory that died particularly hard for me because it seemed like <laughs> very elegant and deliberate, and would it explain so many things? Mm-hmm. Um, but shit, maybe not. But there's more more about uh, the Hodor Willis later. He says also, Aaron, you said something that connected John, Danny, and Tyrion. Uh, something that connected them all was that they all killed someone they loved. Well, John does not actually kill Egret in the books of the show. In the book, she shot off page, and John finds her, and the show, of course, Ollie kills her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know whether this got lost in a translation of the person's email, but they mentioned that uh, he, they, they parenthetically said John, uh, while he didn't kill, they, he feels personally responsible or f- responsible in some level for her death. Okay. That is a pretty big quibble with that you know thing that unifies them all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still got the whole mother died in childbirth, if the theories are correct, but that, that one is a little bit shakier than others. Uh, let's see. J. Luzian- Zania says, uh, You mentioned the Blackfires having dragons uh, offhandedly in your description of the Blackfyre Rebellion, which is where one of the tar- uh, Targaryens lost her mind and legitimized all of his bastards. Yep. Uh, the dragons were all dead by the time of that civil war. Aaron might have been confused hmm. with the realm's previous civil war before that one—the Dance of the Dragons—that took place a few generations prior. Is that war that wiped out most of the dragons? Uh, that's correct. Black—the Blackfire Rebellion—happened uh, uh roughly about a uh, hundred years before the, the show, maybe a little bit before then. So by that time, the dragons had all died out.
1: How? I have a question for yes. you. Yes. Uh, okay. First of all. Pretty easy to get confused on which war is which, I think. And I'm not, uh, especially, I'm Civil certainly Wars. not an
0: expert at the, um, cause I just read The Hedge Knight, which starts to touch on some of the players, like some of the, the, mm-hmm. that happens kind of immediately after, and you meet some of the big players that are from the surviving, um, right you know, the, of, of the great bastards but and i've read a lot of the win the the world of ice and fire which is the big uh uh-huh. leather-bound compendium but i don't set myself up to be an expert at pre a game of thrones slash a song of ice and fire events right uh
1: second is there some kind of established like calendar can you can you say for sure like what year something took yes. place in or is it more like Here's where we are right now, and, and we relate everything to that.
0: No, the way they do it is kind of like in Star Wars, um, you've got before Yavin and after Yavin to kind of center okay. yourself. They talk about BC before uh, the Conquering and AC after the Conquering. What so is the Conquering? Conquering is when the Targaryens came across from old Valyria and whipped everybody's ass in Westeros with okay. the dragons. And that happened roughly three. We're in 298 to 299 AC hmm. at the moment. Okay. So it's approximately 300 years after they landed on Westeros and, and destroyed the Seven Kingdoms.
1: Does anybody talk about, like, when maybe the last winter was in rough year terms? Like BC? I assume it's BC, yes.
0: Uh, I mean, I've got some rough estimates, like three to 8,000 years ago. But, wow! But that's okay. that's that's when like um so the, you're talking about the age of heroes, which is where like Bran the Builder, who is an old Stark, mm-hmm. uh, supposedly built both the Wall and Winterfell. Um, and you know building the Wall seems like that's the last time the winter actually fully came. But mm-hmm. the way like Old Nan talks about it, it's like maybe the last really bad winter is in recent living memory. Hmm. But on the other hand, like we do know that the, not every winter that comes is a magical winter. Sometimes right. they just come; they last for several years, and it sucks. Like right at the time of the books, you've had an unusually long and prosperous spring. Like none of the Stark children have were were ever alive at the time of the last winter. Hmm. Okay, um, so it's like you got winter with a capital W, and then the winters just come as a result of the seasons. Sure whatever fucked up seasons that's, you know... There
1: doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason to the season.
0: I mean, there's a lot of people that have tried to... You come up with some kind of solar mechanics yeah, that would make it yeah. work, like some kind of periodic orbiting multiple stars, or some kind of really weird elliptical orbit. Or okay, it's per- it sounds like it's futile effort. It does. Like there isn't. It's yeah. just magic. It's just. And it seems like there's random. some stuff from the So Spake Martin archive where he says it's it's magical, like, Okay. it's not. But but on the other hand, there are. Even though it is a mystical phenomenon, there are real world. Signs that it's happening because the messengers sure, yeah. at the citadel have success in predicting when this is the last harvest, and they send the white ravens, to let everybody know that winter is actually coming. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 uh, it confounds your efforts, but there's enough there that you kind of want to try. <laughs> sure. Uh, Trelu from Austin, Texas said, "I could be wrong, but I believe John actually would be higher than Danny in the list of secession, assuming that there is something proving his legitimacy." I believe the king has children. They come before their siblings, which is why Robert's children, uh, were they indeed Robert's children, came before Stannis. In this situation, Danny equals Stannis, dead Aegon equals dead Joffrey, and John equals Tommen. Um, So, yeah, that's... uh, I need to remember that core principle, is the eldest males, eldest children would come before that uh, guy's brothers. And certainly sisters, because Westeros be sexist, yo. Um... (laughs) Uh, Jasmine in Seattle, I think, is Ajaz. Uh, it's been a long time since I read Dance with Dragons, but when I read it, I remember thinking it was Mance and the Wildling Girls that were doing all the cloak and dagger killing at Winterfell, uh, taking issue with my assertion that Theon is the quote-unquote ghost of Winterfell that does all the killing. Right. I- I my bad, because there are lots of competing theories about who the ghost of Winterfell is. Um, and that's I, just yours. Well, I mean, I assumed that that was the most popular one, but then I did. Ah. Uh, Steph um, said, uh, I think the most widely accepted ghost of Winterfell theory is that Harwin, the son of Hulan, which is a member of Ned's household guard, uh, who also was associated with Brotherhood Without Banners, with Arya and A Storm of Swords, is believed to be... Uh, the ghost of Winterfell and a possible agent for Lady Stoneheart, which is goes into grand northern conspiracy stuff.
1: Nicknamed Howland ha- Howland Hoolan Howland Hoolan ha- Howland, he got the Howland Mad moniker in there, and
0: now nobody can pronounce his name. Uh, in in the Starks kennel, it's a fun fact that uh Hoolan in fact let the dogs out. Jesus, <laughs> it's it's the uh gorilla dicks and the dad jokes that people come to yep. the podcast for. Uh yep. So. I, again, I, I thought that I I feel like the ghost, the Theon being the ghost of Winterfell is the coolest one, and also you ha- you know it neatly explains all the psychotic breaks and whatnot, mm-hmm. and you know there's people in the books like uh, you know Mance and his spear wives uh, claim to have done some of the killings, but not all of them. Um, I, I don't know. It's I guess it's all in the what you want to believe yeah i didn't really give in fact i'm thinking maybe i should actually come up with a ghost of winterfell theory cast where i spend 15 20 minutes to go through all the quotes to support all the different theories yeah um, maybe
1: if they touch on that in the shows at all
0: i feel like that we are headed for some kind of ghost of winterfell plot um okay. although maybe i don't know maybe they'll just the the boltons get their their butts kicked because Roose is already dead uh, that doesn't happen in the books <laughs> um i don't know Uh, Let's see, Hef uh, was amused by my faux pas saying that Ned's father and eldest brother, Brandon Rickon, went to the Mad... Brandon and Rickon went to the Mad King to demand justice. Uh, I think you meant to say his brother Brandon and his father Ricard, but as above it could read as though Ned's the product of incest and made me laugh harder at work than I had any real right to. Well, you're welcome for that.
1: Yeah. I... Like, if... So, I appreciate that that's funny Mm -hmm. to a lot of people, but if you're gonna write in with a name correction, it's just...
0: We know. Everyone knows. <laughs> well that's the thing, like it could be Aaron just fucking up with his fat tongue, or it could right. be that he legitimately got Rick and Rickard confused. So I like I said, it's a correction. I don't mind issuing it. The coolest theory that I became aware of after this episode is called uh Brand the Originator. Okay. So we talked about how we're not so sure about the idea of Brand being involved in time travel. Right. Apparently, with this Tower of Joy thing and, and Ned hearing Bran, a lot of people have dusted off some other things uh, from the books, uh, or been hunting for things in the books. Uh, for example, when John back in the very first book, Game of Thrones, when he finds Ghost away from the other direwolves, if you recall, there was five regular-colored direwolves for the five natural-born Stark children, and then Jon Snow found the runt of the litter, who was the albino direwolf ghost. mm mm-hmm. um, he was off a ways and in the books it's described, John like hocks his head to one side and is like, Do you guys hear that? And the other start children are like, that nah, it's we just it's just the wind. And then John is led by this sound over to the the thicket or grove or whatever where Ghost is at. Some people are starting to say since the three eyed Raven um said, you know, when, when Bran questioned whether his father heard him or not, it's like, well maybe he heard you, maybe he heard the wind. People are starting to wonder if Bran wasn't influencing other events in the books and mm-hmm. causing them in like a circular paradox, for example right. him going back and seeing the scene he could have said something that that John heard that led him to the 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 dire wolf ghost mm-hmm. um I think that's pretty cool. There's other add on theories where um perhaps Bran says something to Hodor. That causes him to lose his mind. So Bran is actually the cause of Hodor's Bran, brain damage. Hmm. Okay. And then there's an extreme formative theory, which is essentially uh, the Mad King says that he was listening to whispers. And that's one of the things that drove him insane. And that Bran trying to change the past by reasoning with the Mad King, who started off as a fairly decent ruler by Westerosi King standards, eventually drove him crazy and led to his madness. Hmm. So it's, like, one of those things where you can't really change the past, no matter how hard you try. But if you can't change the past, does that mean that you are the one that caused it as well? Maybe. (laughs) I mean, that's a funny, kind of weird cosmic thing. That's, like, that's basic time travel sci-fi 101. I don't know that I mind that kind of causality loop being inserted into Game of Thrones. Like something that Brand decides to try, will f- and and there's also people that's a great exception. They were kind of pissed at this assertion that Brand's doing any kind of time time travel. And they're like, he's just viewing the past. He's not he's not going actually back in the past. But my thought is, okay, but if Eddard Stark actually heard Brand call out Father, that means that he did transmit information into the past. Mm-hmm. Which means that's the definition of time travel,
1: unless he's not actually in the past. He's seeing a vision that he can interact with that is outside of the time stream, right? Like a representation of the past, but not the past itself.
0: Yeah. So this is very much kind of a developing theory, um, and that's it's that that it's all about if if right. people are actually hearing him and not the wind. But there's other instances in the books where um, we see from Brand's uh, point of view that he's actually watching like Theon. Um, post uh well reek I guess at this point um why the why the Bolton's have control of Winterfell and Theon is in the weirwood grove that's in Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Uh Theon hears him uh or, or thinks he hears him. Uh, I think there's another instance in the books where someone hears Bran while he's warging into the trees and whatnot. Hmm. Um so I, there's there's some some legs to this theory it's all going to be down to if people actually can hear him and if that actually influences the past right cuz then you got time travel like it sure. or not.
1: yeah uh I, I i don't know i kind of
0: season 7 I is think going it's to be big... all about valerian Delor- <laughs> delorians they're not stainless steel they're <laughs> valerian steel delorians uh I, so it
1: opens a big can of worms which i'm afraid of like I don't know how long they've been sitting there. I don't know if they're good or bad, but yeah. once you open that can, there's no going back. Uh, but at the same time, I do like the kind of breadcrumbs that he's dropping. If that is in fact what he's doing,
0: yeah. If he if he puts back the if he, it's one of those things where if he's talking about the wind whispering being brand back in book right. one, right? Fuck you, George Martin. That's awesome. <laughs> and I'm saying that in like the Matthew McConaughey true detective sense of just uh-huh. like total respect. Like that that is pretty uh, intense. Yeah. Um, let's see. Let's develop a little bit about this stuff with Hodor, Hodor and Bran. Uh, MB wrote. Or maybe
1: George Martin wrote. is is going back in time and inserting things into his own book <laughs> after the fact.
0: Prove him wrong. Right? Prove him wrong, people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> MB writes, I'm chiming in at the thought about the Hodor-Bran relationship in the Game of Thrones. Parenthetically, as a show-only watcher who's just started listening into the spoiler cast since Jim came on to represent my side of the convo. <laughs> and thinking about Hodor's former life as Willis, most people seem to focus on the implications for Brand's power that he can warg into a person who might have stronger mental acuity and capacity than we had thought. I think we should also be dealing with how cruel it is for ba- Brand to bodily manipulate Hodor if he's actually a cognizant man trapped inside his own mind.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or even if he's, you know, not a fully functional mental adult that's still, like, you know, I don't think uh, a person with diminished mental capacities is just like, free pass to mentally hijack my shit. Uh, But anyway, let's go with this. Hodor's reaction to waking up after Bran had used him to snap Locke's neck in Season 4, Episode 5, gave me the sense that Hodor is unsettled by what he'd been made to do. Yeah. I think we're supposed to realize how much it damages Willis to have his agency, or whatever it is, taken from him when Bran wargs in. Hodor slash Willis is a gentle giant, and here Bran controls him to nearly take someone's head off with his bare hands. How would any of us react if we woke up with a broken body in our hands and no memory of how it got there? Not great, Bob. Uh, This makes me think less kindly of Bran. I thought this back in Season 4, but we're seeing Willis before he became Hodor. I think even stronger that we're meant to see Bran as at least a little selfish, elitist, and irresponsible with other people. I'm going to blow your mind here, MB. MB. Uh, there's a passage in Dance of Dragons, is the third Brand chapter, uh, where he describes when he wargs into Hodor, that Hodor actually has like a little place inside his brain that he retreats to. Uh, quote, hmm. like a dog who has had all the fight whipped out of him, Hodor would curl up and hide whenever Bran reached out for him. His hiding place was somewhere deep within him, a pit where not even Bran could touch him implying that no Hordor does not like this. This is a, this is very much an assault of his volition and that Brand knows it and does it anyway. Right. Bastard. Well it's almost like you give an eight year old this godlike power with no training and no supervision and it's it's like it's entirely possible that Brand turns out to be if not evil like a Dr. Manhattan character who just doesn't see the yeah. normal people the way that he like loses kind of a touch to humanity, which also ties into some things that child of the forest is telling like Mira, like brand's going to need you. Why? As mm-hmm. a connection to his humanity, as a, you know, person that can carry him after he uses up Hodor, who knows? But I thought that's interesting.
1: Yeah. And I, I actually can't help but draw a parallel in my mind to Theon slash reek. Um, I wonder if he could maybe do the same thing to Theon and he kind of goes into this very small reek sort of place in his Mm, head
0: sure Uh, I don't know uh,
1: there's no supporting evidence that that's going to happen it's just a parallel Uh,
0: Anthony B says is it just me or does anybody think that Bran seeing his father lying about the Tower of Joy is foreshadowing of the fact that his father has kept even bigger secrets and lies such as Jon Snow being a Targaryen and his real parents being Lyanna and Rhaegar well yeah I mean, obviously. At that's this the point. Thing. Yeah, I mean. Like, I can't
1: imagine that theory doesn't come true.
0: And that's the thing. Like, you see the show trying to lay as many tracks as they can as rapidly as possible. Um, right. And I think that that's, as each of those puzzle pieces snap in, it's uh, looking more and more likely that that's the case. But you're right. Uh, I think the, the, the part we're supposed to take away as a show watcher is oh, shit. You know Ned's not quite as honorable as we thought, and he's, a we- yeah. he's he's not above stretching the truth to shield people from the consequences of their actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, something I want to point out is um, Varys, his little birds. in the show, he says, children are blameless, I'd never hurt them." And you know he likes to make people happy in the books. Uh, Varys tears out the tongues of these children to keep them, to make it impossible for them to betray him. How do they whisper? To they him. don't whisper. I guess that uh, he he makes sure they're literate, so they can read secrets and notes and stuff, and they write and things. write to him. Hmm. But yeah, he he doesn't want them to be able to betray him or make a sound, so he rips their tongues out. Uh, hmm. Is that just? Because it seems like they sometimes like like Cersei in the book. She's very one dimensionally kind of evil and and very. E- I mean, she's still a pitiable character, but it's very easy to hate her and dismiss her as a three third three dimensional character. In the show, they keep giving her things to kind of humanize her. Do you think that like Martin doesn't give a shit whether you root for Varys or want to see him succeed? He just is this, this pragmatic kind of thing. Whereas in the show, they want us to identify and kind of care about Tyrion and see him as a good guy. Yeah, I, I think so. Or I mean, do you he, think that rippings and, of tongues are things to come?
1: Uh, Like, hmm. oh, you're going to
0: take sweets from this fucker? Well, I'm going to come back to King's Landing and lay down the law. Give me your tongues.
1: So how does... I'm not sure how that works. So he rips out the tongue so they can't... Communicate with anyone else, but they sure. can write to him. So why couldn't they write down their shit to someone else? Well,
0: you know that's where it, my theory kind of breaks down. Okay, but is that's, there just, just an saying, assumption
1: that these beggar kids wouldn't be able to write, and so nobody ever asked? Probably. Them to write? Yeah. Okay.
0: I mean, you see a beggar kid, you already dismiss it. You see a mute beggar kid, and it's like, oh fuck. So right. I mean, but I'm just saying that Varys is his justification for doing it is that he couldn't take the risk of being betrayed or having them speak. So
1: okay. Uh, Being betrayed through words, he's not concerned about writing,
0: right? Or I mean, is it possible to teach someone to read but not write? But what
1: good would that be to him?
0: I don't think it is because he can just copy the things that you've seen. Yeah, no, I, you're right. I mean, if you can read, but yeah, you're right because then there's no way to get him out. Yeah how how does he how do they his communicate private with you? Sign language, right? If he was telepathic or something, maybe that'd be yeah. good. But hmm. uh, anyway, I thought that was that was interesting. Just the the way they're spinning his character a bit. Yeah. Uh Greg Von B said as watching rewatching season 2 and I noticed in the Night's Watch discovers the satchel that has the dragon glass daggers included is a horn. I'm not a book reader but is the horn of significance? Is this the horn that you re- that you mention of significance that can control dragons? Oh boy, there's a lot of horns in the books. <laughs> uh, this one is surprise surprise. Well so first of all Nobody really knows because they haven't made anything of that horn. They certainly made a lot of the dragon glass that was inside of it. It could be a hint because there is this plot in the book that uh, the what what Mance claims to be doing with his wildling army is searching for the Horn of Joramond, also called the Horn of Winter, which is said to be able to wake, stone, wake gi- giants out of stone. It's also said to be able to destroy the wall with a single blow mm-hmm. of its horn. Um, but the details get murky from there because, uh, Mance claims to have found it, but he's captured. Melisandre burns the horn with him. Then Toruman after it's gone, is gone, admits, or claims to say that we just got this, we got this big horn from the grave of an old northern giant, and Tor uh, and Mance was saying that just to kind of like uh, like pretend like he has a nuclear bomb that might destroy you as a, as a kind of a piece of leverage, but it was just a fake horn all along. Okay, but maybe Tormund doesn't know, or maybe Tormund's uh, lying. But at any rate, the so that would mean that the horn that got burnt by Melisandre was a fake. It means the real ones possibly still hanging out there. Wow um but it's and and so this could be just a wink to book readers that hey look there's a horn i mean doesn't match description this horn in the book is like massive it's like eight foot long like from some giant huh extinct ox um i don't know maybe it's a it's a giant penis who knows but uh yeah so it's a little murky um until I see another horn, if I see a horn and it's it's associated with the Greyjoys and the Iron Islands, I'm going to assume it's the dragon horn uh, that we talked about previously. If I see a horn up north, I'm going to assume it's this other one. But since we haven't seen it thus far, so... All right. But there again, I mean, that's another thing where, like, we didn't really see a lot of hints that R plus L equals J. I mean, mm-hmm. there was seven minutes in 50 hours of television. Right. So... Whereas it's a lot more, I guess, concrete in the books. So if this was going to be a plot point, it could just not—they're just not going to introduce it until it's time for it to happen. Yeah, I mean, the wall falling down is something that a lot of people theorize because for some other things we're about to talk about. Let's 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 just move on. <laughs> uh, Dominic S said um, the weakest plot for me uh, in this season so far is the that Alaria and the Sand Snakes assassination of Doran and Tristane Martell. Uh, because it's not just weak, it's untenable. According to Wiki of Ice and Fire, the Martels have ruled Dorne from 700 BC, when the Princess Nemiria and the Royanars reunited with them and unified Dorne, up to the present day of the books, which is in the year 2000-ish AC. In fact, it's very late 2000, 2098-2099. Two, uh, this means they've ruled the unified kingdom of Dorne for almost a thousand years since its inception. Safe to say that they're. Wait, at least... two,
1: 2098 or 298? 298. Did I say 2098?
0: Okay. You, you said, yeah, 2098. Ah, fuck. Okay. Cause I was the, trying the not to say year 2098 because and... that's what my brain was coming up. So I said well, 2098. Said yep. Perfect. <laughs> Glad you didn't say 2098. Stupid brain. <laughs> um, so, safe to say they're at least as much of a brand name in Dorne as the Starks are in the North. I think we're already being lenient by writing off the guards standing idly by while their legitimate prince and rulers murdered in cold blood in front of his eyes. Uh, we're chalking that up to his unpopularity. Fine. It's a long shot, but I suppose it's possible that a, as a, a popular uprising, led by Elaria and the Sand Snakes, could galvanize enough support among the common folk to sweep and wipe out the Martells in a sudden coup. But, such a popular uprising can't last in principle. As with every other great house in Westeros, House Martell is held up by the support of their vassals. I don't see how all the houses could sit idly by and let a coup led by bastard children of the ruling dynasty take power. First off, their duty to their liege lord would demand that they exact justice against Ilaria for his murder. Even if we assume that Doran is so unpopular with his own vassals that they would welcome the downfall of the entire Martell dynasty, there's another problem for Ilaria and the Sand Snakes. Their only legitimacy lies in being unlegitimized bastards of the former ruling house, which doesn't seem to count for that much in Westeros. And by the way, if they do allow unlegitimized bastards to seize power with impunity, this undermines their very own legitimacy. This means that Alari and the Sand Snakes are going to face a large army of Dornishmen. It'll either be a combined force of loyal vassals who are going after them for their open and blatant treason, or an army of an ambitious vassal who kills them to increase their own legitimacy in a bid for the Dornish crown. The only way to protect themselves from the situation is finding another Martell and using him or her as a puppet. Uh, my prediction, of hope, is that Ariane Martell makes an appearance after all, as first as a pawn of Valary and the Sand Snakes, and then eventually exacting revenge against them for the murder of their her father and brother in a beautifully ironic fashion. Having heard that, Jim. I was ready to just dismiss this entire email until he made the point about the noblemen of Dorne and how if they go along with this, then what's to stop any upstart in their own house to be like, oh, fuck, we're just killing lords. I'm, you know, you're an bastard. And I'm running things now.
1: Right, right. Uh, yeah, I think there's some some solid reasoning in there, assuming, you know, the politics or are, are how he lays them out, which I'll, I'll trust that they are. Uh, I yeah, I don't think that they're going to have an easy time of it. Like yeah. they've done this thing killing Doran. I don't know that they fully thought through the consequences of it. Right. And I hope that there are some some consequences, whether they whether they're able to overcome them or not, I hope there's something. Because it doesn't seem like you can just kill a prince and get away with it
0: well and you know to dominic's point here it's like it's possible that they do this anyway in the show because it's just not nearly as complex politically like this is the kind of shit that martin sweats in the books but that's the true. show tends to streamline in favor for the highlight stuff which they have to do i mean there's no there's no way you can adapt like especially in the later books there's just no fucking way like game of thrones starts off Yay, thick, and the next one is yeah. I mean, it, it right. just keeps getting to Dance of Dragons and 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 uh, Feast for Crows is like together, which is a, essentially a single narrative, is like three times as thick as the first one. Like <laughs> okay. it's a it's a, it's it's a story that just keeps on getting larger and larger, and and at a time where even people reading people n- reading the books, I think, are surprised that Martin's not kind of narrowing down, mm. like you know there's all these new characters and plots and situations so i i think you might dominic be setting yourself up for disappointment i agree with kind of like the qed nature of your analysis of the political situation but
1: yeah the show seems to take a very narrow view of dorne like I i've only recall ever seeing this one ruler
0: yeah and it could be that this is a this is a uh campaign against the, all the noble in the, show, the no nobility in the show that this is a popular <laughs> uprising in which case oh, you know Dorne, as far as a, a principality is fucked and it's never going to be the man. same and also winter's coming so who cares I'm going to feel
1: extra ripped off if that's the case like Suddenly, it's just like, oh, yeah, and all of the other nobles were killed in the land by the uprising, too. But that's what happened in France. That's literally what happened in France. Right, but if I were telling the story of the French Revolution, I would absolutely not just focus on this one guy in this one place and then after the fact say, oh, yeah, everybody else got killed, too. Mm. I would show the popular uprising. I would I would have some kind of lead up, some foreshadowing to show mm. tell me... This is not a problem just in this one location. And and I wouldn't paint Dorne as a single location, like, as just this
0: unified but thing under But if Doran. you're telling the story from the point of, like, you know, the, nobil- the French nobility, yeah, and you've got, like, Marie Antoinette's, like, let them eat cake, which I know is not exactly a right, right. nuanced analysis of a statement, but I could see... The, that that being a, a, a fact, it's kind of like no one really saw the sparrows coming until they were setting up shop, uh-huh. you know. Um, but when you think about it, it's like, oh, well, I guess that's a logical outcome for a war-ravaged kingdom where all the small folk are getting their houses burnt and their crops burnt, and there's a lot of people wandering the roads, poor and sick, and there's these religious revives. Like, okay, now that I know the whole situation, it kind of makes sense why they're there. I but I don't it felt know. a little weird to me, like. Just having I'm I don't want to the, be in a position of defending what they're doing in Dorne because I think I I think it's a hot mess, but I my, do too, yeah. my thing is I thought it was kind of a hot mess in the books too.
1: Okay. Well I I, I just don't like how you know it's been portrayed as Alara and her daughters or whatever yeah, sure. are just kinda doing a thing here and yeah. they have like they have some nebulous support from the outside. hmm but is it just in that city? Like, right. I, I just don't feel like. Oh yeah, and there's another group of Sand Snake likes.
0: No, it's over the, in this other sure area. Killing the Nobles that there. They had the entire household guard cool with it. I mean, it, it, that didn't sit well with me either. It's just such a big
1: project.
0: It is. I would like
1: to see some of the infrastructure, some of the logistics there.
0: Yeah, but like and, I said, I, I struggle to say that it's worse than what goes on in the books. Right. Um, it's you know it's certainly less complicated and it's certainly less nuanced but yeah you know i I wasn't a huge fan like i said i wanted to be a huge fan of doran and i kind of was like okay doran fire uh, the prince doran fire and blood all right let's see how your uh let's see how your grand scheme works out and then his son got set on fire and by a dragon and it's kind of wah wah (laughs) Uh, Matt S. said, can you explain how Bran sees, uh, sees the Winterfell Courtyard? I thought, wait, wait a second. Um, I think he's actually asking, wh- how can Bran see down to Dorne? Like, he buys the fact that Bran can see where Weirwoods can see, but he doesn't. He's like, can he just see anywhere? and in the books they kind of they 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 go into this and i'm not sure if they're going to explain it in the show as well but one of the 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 lessons that the three-eyed raven teaches bran is that you know the children of the forest carved faces on the weirwoods as a way to, as part of their spiritual awakening. And those eyes are the first eyes that a green seer you, learns to master because they're the easiest. They have the most direct connection, mm-hmm. but in time, as your, your strength and skill increase, you can start using mini eyes. Like, you know, it's, it's, Uh, people take it for granted that three-eyed raven can see through ravens and maybe he can see through every living thing Mm -hmm. Um, but no it's not just the weirwoods because if that's the case you'd be blind completely blind down south because one of the things that the Andals did when they invaded and brought in the faith of the seven is they started cutting down all those troublesome weirwood forests that people were worshipping so it's very rare to see them south of uh, the neck which is kind of like the middle of the peanut that is Westeros Uh, let's see. Evan G says, You're discussing the fairy tale incest ending with Jon Snow and Daenerys ruling together as king and queen when a song of ice and fire comes to an end. Do you think that Daenerys will rule as queen and then make Jon Snow the warden of the north, essentially bringing the entire entire Westeros under the rule of one family, i.e. the Targaryens? While the Targaryens continue their cousin-fucking traditions, uh, continuing their cousin-fucking traditions would make sense. I'm wondering if the entire book series is supposed to come full circle, starting with the Targaryen rule coming to an end, the whole of Westeros and chaos and ending with magic and dragons returning with the Targaryens ruling once more. Eh, Maybe. I always yeah. I, I think I don't know but I see if I was going to go the full fairy tale incest ending, I think and, and keeping in mind the this version of a song in Ice of, of Ice and Fire, it makes sense to have Danny being the queen of the south and then John returning to the stark way of having being the king in the north. But it's a joint rule because they would be married and in love and making incest babies. Um, but I always thought that, that would be kind of that would also be a, a little duality. You have this king, this wintry king of the north. You got this summery, fiery queen of the south. I mean, that makes sense. It's a little saccharine, but it does make sense. Okay, John being the war. I mean, what the fuck does that even mean? He'd be the king consort. Yeah, and also the warden of the north. I get. I mean, I guess that makes as much sense as anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm still on board with maybe Jon Snow being both fire and ice. So maybe he ends up, and maybe that's why they started off so prominently on Ned and stuff. Uh, but who knows? Who knows?
0: Uh, Jim from Pasadena has a book complaint, uh, which was echoed several places on the internet, and I got a couple in my email bag. So did they just crap all over the classic scene where Arthur Dane, the knight who knighted Jamie, fights with Dawn, the sword of the morning, or was that all bullshit in the books? And he actually fought with two swords. What? I can accept that Howland Reed acted dishonorably and Ned has been covering up for him all these years, just adding to things that Ned has been covering up, which is actually a nice wrinkle to the story. But screwing with the details of the books like this becomes problematic when they don't have the story of the book to explain the changes they're making. Are they artistic license or something that we have been misled about in the story as readers and will eventually be told the truth about in the book? He also has a problem with the actual wording because... I'm not... I have no idea what he's talking about. What? Okay, so... I'm sorry. I should have explained all this in the books. It's a three-on-seven battle. There's three Kingsguard versus seven, and and, and uh, okay, there's uh, only
1: two in the show.
0: Yeah, and I think that it's as simple as like the choreography is easier. Like can, that's a simple solution for why you would we'd, we'd limit it. There's also um, the verbiage that uh, that Ned and the Kingsguard bandy back and forth is similar to in the show, but it's not nearly as cool slash elegant. And, you know, I, that's been brought up before. Like, I know that people lost their their mind when uh, uh, Littlefinger threw uh, his his Liza through the, the moon door. Mm-hmm. And in the books, he says, "I've you silly woman, I've only loved one woman all my life. And he says, only cat, and throws her out the door. Where in the show, he says, your sister. And, and people right. lost their shit because that's, your sister is not as cool as only cat, I guess. But... Okay. In that instance you have to balance the needs of the people who, you know, watching a show and might not know that Catelyn Stark is her sister. That's not at the tip of their brain, the tip of their tongues. Whereas they would recognize the fact that I don't I mean, I don't know. Um I don't understand it's it's essentially and if you think this is all bullshit, I beg to differ because let's let's say there's a Star Wars novels series where darth vader says to luke skywalker luke i am your father and everyone's like oh that's super badass and in the movies he says luke i'm your dad that's, mean, not I'm your as, that's not a daddy that's not yeah i'm your daddy <laughs> that's not as badass it's just not it's objectively not so people get upset when like you've got this really artful <laughs> phrase why the fuck did you it's not any longer it's not any shorter it makes it's 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 identical (laughs) in meaning. Why did you fuck with it? Right. To me, like, chaining it to your sister is not... (laughs) <laughs> like I, I'm not saying that, but, but It's I, not, like, objectively stupid. But I do agree, and, and and when our next Audible ad comes up, I'm going yeah. to take the clip from this actual scene and probably play it unless something better comes up. So um,
1: is his problem that they say different things? Well, or there's a different there number of things. so It's it's it, just okay. the fact
0: that they're changing things for no apparent good reason, and now that they don't have the books to guide them, it's making him, as a book reader, feel less sure that they're not fucking this up.
1: Are you sure that's not what they're intending to to do
0: that's to the... confuse
1: you as a book reader like I who gives a fuck it's two or three nobody cares just like and at this point we are so far afoul of the books as far as like actual substantial plot goes no sure i don't can... know why you would take the books as any reasonable expectation in the in
0: the show Well, i mean that's dumb no like...
1: no no to a certain degree you can you can use it to say oh maybe this will happen this way because in the books it, sure. d- it goes this way But fucking Roose Bolton is dead. Fucking like ten people are dead who aren't dead. What's going to
0: happen in the books? This is being straight. Like I, I okay. But if you assume that Roose Bolton would be alive at this point, you'd be goddamn wrong. But what I'm saying is, I think what the show is a different thing. Yes, but the logical end of your argument is that anything could happen in the show, and that can't be true. Or else right I mean I, I speaking as as a book reader who that's but that's only the extreme end of that argument that's not that's not a nuanced approach at all I know but I'm saying in between the you have to follow the book slavishly versus anything right. goes is the great debate about what particularly strikes your ear as wrong like exactly, exactly. Luke I'm your daddy. V- mm-hmm. exactly what he says in the, the movies but it's not nearly as cool and like i think that's a that would be a minor point but i think um, most star wars fans would agree that that Ooh, i don't I, uh, I was really looking forward to that that was that gave me chills in the book and i hear daddy that doesn't give me chills
1: right of course not so but I, I don't
0: think there's been anything like that that's really
1: stood out except for maybe the, the but you're not snakes. a book reader and that's the thing like but and, but if Luke, if Darth Vader had in the movies and this was canon and the only thing that existed said,
0: Luke, I'm your daddy, I would be
1: like, what the fuck are you talking about, Mr. Vader? But this
0: Tower of Joy scene does happen in the books. Right. So, right. like, we're still, I mean, this is one of the things where it's, in fact, it happened in book one. It's something that Ned flashed back to uh, while he's sitting cool his heels in the dungeon. Um, so, I mean again yes there is a gulf between the two different sides of the argument but I think in the middle like I, I feel like that if I was going to weigh in the gym in Pasadena I think he's being a little bit reactionary but I think mm-hmm. it is hard to argue that and the number of Kingsguard doesn't matter the number of people in Ned's party doesn't matter the choreography the choreography doesn't matter but the, the verbiage was cooler and that's the kind of stuff the book readers are like why would they change it there was no reason to change it
1: Sure. Not even like
0: getting people confused because it's essentially a more artful way to say like, "Well, your dude's dead." Well, fuck! If I had been there, it'd be a whole other story, bro. I mean, yeah, that would also be a perfectly valid way to translate Ned and Sir Arthur Dane's dialogue, but people would be super pissed about that, right? I, I mean, I think the chasm
1: is book first versus show first. Sure. Whatever. Like it, as long as it isn't objectively stupid, like Luke, I'm your daddy. Uh, and I, this this scene wasn't I, right. I can't. Then then it doesn't matter to me. like yeah. If it could be cooler, yeah, everything could be cooler. Like what do you what do you want? Well, I, to me,
0: I'm a show first. To me, the only reason you make things less cool Fan. is to condense things and save on budget. Okay. If you're making it less cool just because I do, scratch maybe they my thought head. they were making it more cool. That's, and then you, well, you're, you, and the double D's wrote this episode. So I hate to say this, but uh, not a big fan of your fart and not a big fan of your editorializing Sir Arthur Dane. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Let's move on to Sean S. Says you're going to have to put on a bit of tin foil hat for this one. Oh, boy. I got mine on. On second viewing, I noticed something with the Cersei scenes and Arya's montage. They have a lot of focus on the mountain. in this episode, a la bad fart joke at the small council table and the scared little birds. We also have mention of by combat by Cersei and Jamie's comment of, That's a trial I'd like to see. Flash to Arya, and with her waif talking about the hound and admission by Arya that she only let him left him to die, not that he died outright. Now, I know it's too early to oh, call God. Clegane Bowl, seeing oh, as how God. we haven't seen the gravedigger in his quiet aisle yet, mm-hmm. but may it be safe to assume you had me at it's, too, it's, it's never too early to call Clegane Bowl. It's going to happen. <laughs> All the doubters are fucking wrong. It's going to happen. There's no way they spent that much time talking about the fucking hound. And whether he's alive or dead, <laughs> and Cersei's saying, oh, I want to try my combat, and Jamie's like, oh, that's something I'd want. No fucking way, bowl is not going to happen. You're right. Bastard Bowl, Clegane Bowl, they're all happening. I feel like we need, because there's something in, like, like we need some kind of sound drop when we do the Clegane Bowl, you know? We can make one. Like, Just like get some a big echoey, Clegane, Clegane. Yeah, bowl. or with, with some kind of, like, <laughs> horns going off, and, like, it's a, re, you know, <laughs> like a bass drop. Okay. Ooh, yeah, that, that needs to happen. We'll do it. Uh, so, yeah, we've got to mention the fact that there's some cl- serious Clegane, Clegane Bowl get hype stuff going on. Jason Z adds to it. I uh, said, Arya taking that John is a fun theory for the show pod, but I had another hopeful theory that pits Aria against the mountain. I know we're all secretly hoping for the Clegane Bowl, but Aria has a short list in the show, and in both books and her show, uh, the list includes the mountain. Now, remember, the, the reason that she's going to have to go after John is because the Faceless Men would be pissed that he's brought back to life. Right. You can say the same fucking thing about the mountain. Sure. Which is the cool part of this theory. Uh, he continues, Training complete, badassery hone. What if Arya set out to take the mountain at a pivotal point in the show? This might mean as part of the trial by combat that's coming, or another situation in which the mountain, or Robert Strong, is set to conquer something of importance for Cersei. Even better, maybe she takes out Cersei at the same time. A 2 revenge scene. I think the ultimate would be a Bowl showdown where the Hound finds himself down and out, and Arya, who's been known to struggle with wanting to kill the Hound or not, has a change of heart and saves his life. In this case, saves it by killing the Mountain. Everyone wins. I, okay, there's some things I like about this. Not sure how I feel about a ninja monkey Arya jumping out of the stands at the trial of combat and killing Uh the Mountain to spare the Hound. Like, that seems a little too, Well, I don't know. The mountain is sort of faceless.
1: Let's have faceless bowl. That sounds good. Arya is actually the
0: uh, trial by combat. Sure. Well, that's the thing. Like, you can't just be Arya versus the mountain because number one, I don't know that I buy that Arya, even with her faceless man powers, can take on the mountain. And needle. Not in a trial by not like like she could absolutely kill the mountain if that was her only task, but to do it in like a you know. Right. Right. Challenge of the Seven kind of way, mm-hmm. uh, which takes us to the next point, which is Laura, with Laura McPee piles on his Bowl hype theory. I haven't heard anyone take this scenario to its inevitable end yet. I think the Hound will win, you know, assuming all the Bowl, Um and finally, even if it is by a technicality, if Franken Mountain loses, then Cersei is condemned. This mm-hmm. makes me wonder if she will live to see the next season. I could definitely see this being an episode nine kind of plot point. I guess if I go this with this prediction, then I probably have to figure that Tommen is toast by then too. So the Maggie the Frog's prophecy is completely fulfilled—all of her children being killed. Perhaps Tommen tries to interfere in his mother's execution and winds up getting himself killed in the process just before Cersei's executed. What does Jaime do then? If his sister, lover, and all of his children are dead, he could be quite the loose cannon. It also makes it pretty easy for Dany to take the throne, assuming she can ever get the hell out of Essos. Also, I bet Arya makes an appearance in Westeros by then. She might even beat the Sparrows to killing Cersei. Wow. So, the thing is if you believe in the clagane Bowl, you're obviously wanting the hound the living hound to beat his hated brother the mountain
1: of course yeah
0: when, and we already talked about the problems of that theory unless which, you're a real bastard right and, and we already talked about the problems of that theory and your reaction because like the big the big problem is if 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 the hound comes back solely for vengeance it kind of rolls back his peaceful character development uh uh-huh. so it have to be something that's like he's he's kind of wanting it, it it's it's a mission he's on for the faith and he realizes the mountain's already dead, and he's bringing his brother, like, peace, maybe. Okay? Okay. But if he wins, then Cersei's doomed, and then what happens? She gets killed. I can see Cersei getting killed. But the killed. prophecy is she's killed by the hands of the little brother. By the hands of the little brother? Yeah. Like, the, 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 the full prophecy that you didn't see in the show was... Oh, okay. Was that the... You remember I talked about the Valonqar... Uh, vaguely. Yeah. So the the witch in the woods says that you, after all your children are dead, uh, you'll be you'll be killed at the hands of the car, which is a High Valyrian word for little brother. Okay. What she Cer- Cersei believes is Tyrion, which is why she's desperately trying to find him in the books and have him killed. Right. Uh, a lot of people say that a um a, a neat fulfillment would be Jaime strangling her. Um, but mm-hmm. the other thing is if the Hound is victorious. Maybe he's given the honor, and the Hound is the little brother of... It doesn't say your little right. brother, it just says the little brother.
1: Also, it doesn't say that in the show. So, who knows if they're going to go that direction. No, but They that's, might have left that
0: out on purpose. Or they, they could be saving that flashback for this season, because we flashback for no good reason to see Cersei's original prophecy... They could flashback for the second Was half there a second it. prophecy? Or was no, it... it's all one. But what I'm oh. saying it's like just in similar that they split the Tower of Joy reveal into two different episodes. They could just do that with a whole season apart. I I'd... suppose so. I That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not really fighting for that. Yeah. But the Hound could strangle her to death without the prophecy in the show, and it'd still be cool for us book readers, and that's probably... Would, that would also indicate that that's probably how it's going to go down in the books as well. Uh,
1: also, let's just say this is a crazy old witch in a, a straw house. We don't know that this prophecy is actually coming true, right? And that's true like, about all the prophecies. It could just be literally her fear is the point. It's
0: the, or it, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, the way she's right. raised her children and so herself nothing... is, is bringing about this shit. Right.
1: So there's nothing that says Tommen really has to die. No, but if you think that the prophecy is going to come true, sure. Right. How how would he die?
0: Yeah, and it, it's it's the lines blurred because we have prophecies that appear to not be fulfilled, and and in fact they're false. We have prophecies that appear to right. be true and are fulfilled. We have things that are true after a certain faction. We have real magic powers, and we have false. Ma- I mean, mm-hmm. you could do anything. As long as I guess it's cool and, it, and people think it makes sense, Martin can probably get away with it. So, But all those things, you're right, are, are on the table. Uh, let's move on. Oh, there's one last uh, Gregor Clegane, Clegane bowl kind of thing. Uh, Jonas M. says, What theories do you have around the true makeup of Robert Strong slash the Mountain? In the books, I'm pretty sure his skull is sent to Dorne as a trophy, though in the show it doesn't address this. I still think it's interesting to ponder whose head could be under that helmet. What if it was Robert Baratheon or Tywin Lannister? Highly unlikely, but I'm pretty sure Kyburn was given the green light on any means necessary to finish his work. Your thoughts? Now, Jim, this isn't a show question, because in a show it's pretty fucking clear that it's just the mountain's head. Uh, I think so.
1: Or could it be a fake
0: direwolf head under there? Is there any chance that the head is too
1: small to be a real direwolf or the mountain
0: and they've had to replace it? Oh, they had to cut the snout off. That'd be a freak show. Uh, So, I that is another p- popular speculation. You joke, but the what? fact that it's Ned, or it's Rob's head.
1: Rob's head.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Because it's like they we know it's cut off, and right yeah. where'd it go? Uh, but the, so so they, they supposedly sent Gregor's skull to the Dornish to pacify them, as like they they that the, the their sister's killer has been brought to justice after a fashion. Now that could be any large dude's head. But there's also mm, a, a okay. passage in the book where where Bran is green seeing and he sees uh, what we later find out to be an allusion to the mountain. It's this giant figure clad in white enamel, which is the 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 the, um, the armor of the Kingsguard, and his visor lifts up and just blood like the shining style pours out of this helmet, hmm. and it's just a it's a black inky expanse. It's just shooting blood, which some people think that. Because uh, in the show, he's wearing a full face visor. You like, can't literally see his face that he might be headless in the books, hmm. which is fucking cool. Yeah. I wish they could have pulled that off in the show. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't have it. I've, I've heard theories with Rob, although Rob's head might be accounted for now that I'm thinking of it. I've heard theories that it's... Um, uh, uh, Joffrey. They've, they've had a couple theories that it could be Joff's head. It mm-hmm. could be some other unreal, it Could be Tywin. So, uh, usually, those theories are along the lines of, "Oh man, when he finally reveals who it is, fucking Cersei's going to shit her pants." Kind of like shodden fraud of like how she'll feel about right. that after authorizing all this. Um, but yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think it's a true show fact and it's probably at best is going to be a cool irrelevant detail in the books Mm -hmm. so uh, that's all the thoughts I have on it hey I want to take this opportunity to tell you about our club at club.baldmove.com you go there and tell you all about it but the upshot is you for as little as a buck a month you support Bald Move you get all the bonus features we don't have tiers it's like $5 premium platinum support And if you want to give us more bless you this is blessings of the seven be upon you. <laughs> but but you can you can squeak by for a, 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 as little as 12 bucks a year. You get all of our bonus content, including video recordings for podcasts. Now, what's cool about that is if you cannot wait to talk to someone about Game of Thrones, you got no one else in your life, we record the instant take. That's like five, ten minutes after the episode. That's pretty uh-huh. damn fast. Faster than After the Thrones, Andy <laughs> and Chris calling <laughs> you guys out. Uh, you can watch us you know, talk for... 20 to 30 minutes about the episode and kind of set up the debate for the following week. Uh, it's the fastest way to get our podcast because everything else involves re- actually recording it and then uh, compressing it and then uploading it and then posting it and it's just a mess. But you can get it right right there right there and watch our dumb faces record it. Uh, there's also other, a bunch of other stuff. We're going to have a Game of Thrones Telltale video game out. Uh, the final chapter of the uh, House Forester saga is going to be up later this season. We've got a board game battles of Westeros playthrough that we're going to post later this season. Uh Just, and plus we got special shows and like after hours, cocktails and lunches, like all kinds of bonus content for almost nothing, a buck a month, a buck a month. Go to com If that sounds interesting. And we thank you in advance for your support. Ryan Bennett says, I know a lot of people have already grouped the two prophecies together, but I thought it was strange to hear Melisandre say the prince that was promised instead of Azor High. Which is the prophecy in her religion. Your thoughts. So I researched this a bit. And I found an old video from HBO about the religions in Westeros. That I think was for season 2. I'll I'll link the YouTube on YouTube. uh, In the show notes. Uh, Where Martin himself freely interchanges the prince that was promised with Zora High. And my take on this is... Okay... So imagine that as I've talked about in the previous podcast, that the winter, the the, the big winter, the capital W winter is a global phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It's kinda like, you know, one people say that the evidence for like Noah's flood being true is that like every m- major religion, a lot of lot of peoples, a lot of periods of the have like a flood mythology. Right. Um, you know, you could also say that maybe <laughs> In like some place in Africa where we all spawned, there's a big flood, and that's some kind of global memory. It doesn't have to be a religious fact, but um, and, and in the same way, like Jesus is seen differently by like a lot of the Abrahamic religions, like the Jews seem differently than the Muslims than the Christians. Um, I think that this is a singular Messiah role that has different names depending on like, um, you know, Melisandre's from Aeshae, they call him Azor High uh Westeros refers to him as the prince that was promised but it's the same character and in fact i think the fact that okay. martin refers to them the same way means that like they add, that's like a fact that's yeah. like a, a the word of god kind of fact it's in his
1: head canon certainly.
0: yeah so and it, it doesn't throw me because like melisandre's talking to a person who is raised in Westeros and they know that pro- that prophecy is the prince that was promised so hmm. I, it didn't. It didn't bother me. That that. But that's the way I I I see it. There, Ryan. Gerard M. What are your best guesses on who's running the Sons of the Harpy? I'm guessing it's Dario in the show. Anyways, it's still not clear in the books, and here's why. His dar. One of the other suspects, his dar, which is the former husband of Danny, uh, is now dead on the show, so it can't be him unless things are completely different in the books. Two, he double crosses his allies from the first time we meet them. Uh, he actually cut the heads off his commanders and gave them to Danny as a way to turn turn cloak. Right. Uh, he knew where to find the guy that was hiding in the walls last season. And in this episode, we learned that they're funded by the Masters and other cities in Slaver's Bay. Which major character in Essos has been in touch with these communities in recent episodes? Dario. Do you recall Dario was returning from like some kind of tour of the area uh, last season? So what mm. if when they rescue Danny, Dario tries to kill her, and Jorah ultimately redeems himself by saving Danny from him? What do you think, Jim? Uh that could be. That could be. I. It...
1: <sighs> He's a smooth operator, if that's the case, because I'm not picking that up from him.
0: I mean, I, he could be very much a to land- go back to Star Wars, well, uh, a Lando Calrissian type.
1: And hasn't he been giving her kind of bad
0: advice? along the way. But everyone has. And that's the thing. It depends on your point of view. Like, it could be advice that he legitimately has as a person who was born into the slave trade as a pit fighter. Like, that's the way he sees the world. Right. But it's certainly advice that conflicted with what Barristan was trying to tell her. Sure. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, definitely he's a scoundrel, and I could see that happening, and also it's an easy way for Jorah to kind of prove his worth. I suppose.
1: Yeah. Could be I why
0: I guess why the, the real question is why is Dario doing this? Like why wouldn't he continue his play for her pants? Because he could end up being the king of the world. Like, sure, you know, yeah, that's that's certainly a prize. Like he
1: can't think that he can control these dragons. Certainly. Sure. Um, so
0: I mean, he'd be better off with is like money. Sure. Like that's the, the dual question: is money or power? Like if you have the option to be the consort of the woman who rules the world. Don't you technically have all the money? Uh, Yeah, probably. Now, if you don't think she can make it, then you can maybe accept a bribe to set yourself up pretty, but you're betting against her. And it doesn't seem like Dario, I, I don't see any evidence for him betting against her. And that's the one problem. Like, if he thinks she's got a shot, why doesn't he back her? Okay. If he doesn't, then fine. But there's nothing that suggests that he doesn't think that she is somewhat special. Yeah. yeah. But I guess that's why it'd be a shocking betrayal. <laughs> Can I throw one other thing Please out? Please do.
1: How about whoever hired Dario and his thugs initially? His his uh mercenaries yeah. in the first place. The Second Sons, I think they're in Danny old. essentially came along and stole them. Uh Sure. By, you know,
0: by being pretty essentially. By being awesome and <laughs>
1: Dario's like, "Oh, okay, I'm going to kill these dudes and yeah. come follow you now." Yeah. Uh maybe they're pissed about that? Was was it the slavers in uh what is it what was the first one astapor no i do young believe kind? yeah they
0: they, they the, one of the cities maybe it's young i can't i honestly can't I, uh i can't keep them keep them separate but yeah they did hire to keep them uh from to keep her from conquering them
1: right so maybe maybe they're just pissed now and they've been regrouping as she's been away true because i mean it has been a struggle for her to even keep marine under control let alone oh, no, yeah but these t- other cities so i don't know that there needs to be like an inside influence in Marine that's doing this. It could be the outside, mm-hmm. just like Varys found out this episode.
0: Yeah, I still don't. But you're saying that they be paying Dario? Uh, no, no, no.
1: Oh, okay. That okay. they that they would just be organizing the Sons of the Heart. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because you know they have motivation, and it's I think it it's effective demonstration of how little control she has in the region at the moment. Yeah. Like she's just, you know, she did all these things that she thought was gonna set things right in the area yeah. and they did momentarily, but
0: and, and Martin's razor would suggest that the the thing in the book or the thing in the show that Varys discovered is a fact and it's plausible and we're just gonna go with that. That this is just a foreign you know, that, that the, right. the, the the these foreign powers are financing the old masters to rise up against Danny. Yeah. I mean that's that seems to be the straightforward reading of it. Yep. Uh, back in five says, since we're finally seeing more of Sam and Gilly headed to the Citadel, or at least Sam is heading there, are we going to learn more about the shenanigans going on there? Part of the intrigue in the book parts about the Citadel comes from the fact that Jackin and, and the Sand Snake, Sorella, uh, is there. Sam's a POV character in the book, so is it a reasonable inference that what happens at the Citadel is significant? Fuck yeah, it is. I, I mean... would assume so. That's, like... That's why I was kind of worried about them fucking up the sand snakes because I only care about the sand snakes insofar far as they do something cool with the citadel, hmm. um, and the fact that Martin makes it very clear if you're a clever reader that Sorella is there because there's a character that roughly meets matches her description. Uh, uh, you know, granted, it's a gender bend. But she was also kind of described as a masculine warrior type, which we see like the eldest of the Sand Snakes mm. kind of fits that T. Okay, like she sure. cuts her hair short and wears some armor and you know rubs some ash on her. She she could pass for <laughs> all uh, right. You know she could do the Joan of Arc thing. Yeah, yeah why not? Totally. Uh, or even the uh, Arya pulled that shit off too. That's true. Pretending to be a boy. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, essentially, it's it's the person's name spelled backwards. Like you show up at a place, you know, with your shave, with long hair and fake boobs, and your face shaved, and you're Mm -hmm. going by Midge. Yep, I'm calling (laughs) bullshit. I'm saying you're Jim. (laughs) Don't people bullshitting me? But yeah, no, I mean, not and not, not just that, but the shit that Sam's already finding out. They're like, there's these crazy magic candles that have not been lit for forever, and now they're lighting. And there's this sorcerer. Um, kind of uh, magical uh, maester that's kind of getting his own following and recruiting Sam. Like, definitely whatever Sam learns at the Citadel is going to be relevant to what goes on in Westeros. So, yeah, that's one of the more exciting things about the season because most of the other shit, it's like I've known, I just wasn't ninety, I wasn't a hundred percent sure.
1: Right, and if it wasn't going to be relevant, they would have pulled like a a Rickon or a yeah or a Gendry. Yeah, sort of thing with him, and just not shown him. Sure,
0: like yeah. let it let it fall to the wayside for three seasons. Uh, moving on to Nat, this theory popped up uh, on my Facebook feed. I'm not sure if you talked about it before or not. Is the High Sparrow actually Howland Reed in disguised? Sounds dumb to me, but I'd like to see Jim's reaction now that we've arrived at Howland's appearance in the flashback. Oh. so if you consult the archives, that some I've... rough years on that guy. <laughs> So if you consult the archive that I, that I put in all the show notes for the spoiler podcast, you'll see that I actually did cover the theory about whether Howland Reed is the High Sparrow. Huh. And here's the things that ha- I'm going to just r- briefly recap, um, because if you want to hear the whole deal, it's in the archives for a reason. But it's essentially the fact that the the descriptions of Howland Reed and the descriptions of the High Sparrow are very similar. That, Almost as if they're
1: written by the same person.
0: Well, not only that, <laughs> but like that's something that Martin does a, surprisingly a lot in the books, is right. have one character masquerade as another character, which is why you have all these horseshit... You know, Dario is Euron on Greyjoy, and Dario is Bingen Stark, and Bingen Stark is the. You know, it's like you because he does that enough to an annoying degree that like he kind of like you can't shut down any speculation. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, if these characters have physical similarities, then oh, is he doing it again? So he's got like prominently, they talk about the fact that Howland Reed goes around barefoot, like that's one of his defining features, and they talk a lot about the High Sparrow being barefoot and how gross and nasty his feet are. Okay. And also, there's a certain amount, this goes with the the, the Grand Northern conspiracy, is that the we know that um, there are elements of the North that are infiltrating places down South, and which I'll get to in a bit because we're going to talk more about this Grand Northern conspiracy. But it would make sense for uh, Stark, one of the most loyal Stark supporters, to be entrusted with the mission to lead an insurgency against the Crown. Mm-hmm. And that's what the High Sparrow is doing. And thus, it would be very cool if he was revealed to be Howland Reed. Like, not only have I worked to bring down the false Lannisters, but I also know that the true Stark is John. Everybody, give it up for him. Sit him on the Iron Throne. Like, right. that's it's it's one of those deals. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Interesting. So, again, if you want to hear the whole scoop, I think it's last season I talked about it. But there's the. Um, and the cool thing about the archive is it's broken down by subject matter, and it not only has the link to the podcast, it also has the time code to where you want to skip all the feedback and other bullet. You just want the tinfoil theory, go right to it. Uh, which is important, because some of those podcasts are, like, two and a half hours long, man. Yeah. <laughs> Especially before I split the spoiler into its own thing. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that was just part of the main Game of Thrones <laughs> podcast, and they were long. Holy shit, they were long. <laughs> Uh, Charles F said, what do you think about the theory that Leanna Stark is actually giving birth to twins and the John and Mira Reed are siblings? I feel like it makes sense, but I haven't heard anyone talk about this recently. How likely do you think this would be? I don't think it's likely at all. Why? So this is this is the spawn of Preston Jacobs, who uh, has a lot of very slickly produced. The uh, uh, he, I, I described him. He has very slickly produced um, videos. Okay, first of all. Yes.
1: Is this guy's name the spawn of Preston Jacob, or is his name Preston Jacob? Like, is he the son of Preston Jacob? He,
0: no, he's the spawn of Pre- Preston. Jacobs was way worse. He's the... No. No, I, I said no. Okay, his name is... This theory is the spawn oh, okay. of Preston Jacobs. <laughs> okay, gotcha. And Satan. It's also the spawn of Satan. <laughs> uh, he makes very slick the- uh, videos mm-hmm. that give you these, like, oh my god, this is so fucking cool vibe. Right. Right. And that's where my position was and probably still would be had I not run a podcast where someone asked me to talk about his theories. Because I want to go through in the books and start looking at the things he cites. Mm -hmm. Holy shit, cherry picking. Right. And how he does, like, he likes to find one or two flaws of the main theories and then say, well, then that means R plus L equals J is wrong. It's actually R plus L equals uh, you know, J and M, Mira and Jojen, or John and Mira. But the thing is, is his theories have so many more flaws than the thing right. that he picked that made him go off from the main shoot anyway. Right. And he does a lot of like uh, extra textual analysis, like this is patterns we see in this other literature. Therefore, J- Martin is doing it too. And it's like that mm. shit. Like when you actually start to try to make the pieces fit together, and I'm not trying to start like a fucking war. With this guy, because like, what he's doing is cool, and it's making a lot of people happy, and he knows a lot about the source material. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of thought maybe he was a flim flam man, and then he did like a uh, Ask Me Anything on the Ice and Fire subreddit, and I found he actually held his own on a lot of stuff. So, yeah, uh, I have respect. I just don't buy any of his popular theories. they, okay. they like if you try to sit down and and look at the, the original text and everything around them. And then ignore all the other hints about the other theories that they're competing against. It's just really hard to say them with a straight face. Here's here's
1: what I find troubling about trying to be a YouTuber, a theorizing uh, YouTuber. Yeah, is that the internet has already figured out probably the most likely of the theories, sure. and all you can do is spout them. Yeah, uh, back out, shit them back out in a slickly produced format. Sure. Uh, unless you want to try to branch out, but then most likely you're just making shit up because yep. you are but one person. Sure. And
0: so, how likely is it that you're going to find the ten most exactly. compelling theories? They're all that everyone else has missed. Sure. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So yeah. that's that's uh, that's a pretty big. But it's back. been five years since the last book comes out. Sometimes ridiculous looks sublime, uh, and yeah. you can get a yeah. couple million people to watch your videos. Which sure. not hating. I you know I just I the last thing I want is like someone to say like hey Aaron's talking shit about you and like start this big although maybe that'd be cool. And speculation is fun. In fact, I take it all I mean, back. Preston Jacobs you're the fucking worst. But the spawn of Preston Jacobs I hope Jacobs, you do a 15 a minute fuck. video about bald move and how we're a bunch of fucking dumbasses. <laughs> be a fate worse than death. And if I hope you it gets that. 100 million yeah, clicks. Yeah, that'll show you you <laughs> son of a bitch with your Bullshit theories, take that Mr. Jacobs <laughs> But honestly it's fun to speculate So I get why people oh, and do I'm this Because we do it here Yeah, and I'm the guy who's like Oh yeah, Bruce Bolton's a vampire, how cool so, right. And Tyrion's gonna ride a dragon to Westeros And yeah. kill uh, Cersei Yeah, my only beef was like When I went to go I, I, could, I would either just regurgitate his video right. And ignore all the problems with it Or spend three times longer talking about All the ways I didn't think it would be true Which mm-hmm. I actually did, yeah. I did that for one of his videos Okay. It was like a takedown thing rather than a, here's a theory and why I think it's cool. Uh, anyway, let's see. Uh, Virgilio in California, talking about the Ghost of Winterfell plot. Can they re-spin this subplot with Rickon committing all of the Bolton murders? In this retelling, Rickon would have been discovered his own warging abilities and thus used Ramsay's own dogs to do the killing. Uh, I also got some... This was just a representative example. Lots of people suggested that Rickon might be the ghost of Winterfell. A few more suggested Asha, because we know she's a stone-cold killer. Hmm. Could be the ghost of Winterfell. Okay. Um, Yes, because it seems like... I don't usually like to talk about the previews, but what the fuck? The previews show Theon going to his sister on the Iron Islands. So Theon being the ghost of Winterfell doesn't seem like it's lining up with where the show's going.
1: No, he's going home, home.
0: It's also possible that they're not going to do the Ghost of Winterfell. They're just going to skip to the war at Winterfell, hmm, and yeah. someone's going to lose, and someone's going to, and there's not in the, any of this inside fighting, which also means a lot of the Grand Northern conspiracy is going to be less conspiracy and more overt, just fuck you, we're going to war. Right, right. The conspiracy will be,
1: you know... Just all climax. Sure.
0: Right? Like, it's been there, and then yeah. now, boom, it's yeah. happening. Yep yeah. it's, it's now the, the, the noose is uh, tight around your neck, and you're already swinging before you know it. Yeah. Uh, Daniel J. from Detroit says, I've often wondered if the term many face god is a euphemism for coins, and that the faceless man's ideology is thus a non-ideology of assassination for hire. In other words, if they are principled about not having principles, and money is the only thing they respect... Arya's entire story seems to be set up for a single meaningful assassination, and the best source of money to pay for that key assassination at this point is the Iron Bank. Makes me wonder if they will take a hit out on King's Landing now that they've welched on their debts. Could you see Arya assassinating Tommen, fulfilling the prophecy of Maggie the Frog, and then taking Tommen's face and posing as the king to further some amazing plot point? Whoa, whoa, whoa. you went a little crazy at the end there. But... Are you assassinating Tommen for welching out on the, the crown's debts? Sure, I could see that. I, all right. I also don't know that I agree with your faceless men uh, euphemism for coin. That's a really cool concept in theory, and it would make them like the Scientology of Westeros, where the <laughs> people on top know it's all about the money, uh-huh. but the you know the people that are that are the foot soldiers and and or they they think it's like this big religious calling, right? But that's kind of cool too.
1: Yeah, it's it's. Interesting that they are headquartered in the same city as the sure. Iron Bank, uh, and that that's you know their the coin was what got her over there in the first place. Sure. Like there's, I mean, like, that's their sim, that's their calling card, right? Right. There's something to that. Maybe maybe it's Jack and Miss
0: Maybe that's his <laughs> last name. <laughs> I know's Daniel is like change it to Hagar after he he's like he's like two he's he's already got two minutes of a ten minute press in Jacob's video. So you take what you got in this email and, and you add a couple more. I just gave you a free one. Their their calling coin card is a coin. There you go. Like there you're four minutes into oh, it. Man. You got Can six you imagine more the and... YouTube
1: video with a picture of a coin spinning <laughs> sure. for four minutes while you explain it?
0: Oh you, yeah. Start your account right now, the spawn of Preston Jacobs. <laughs> Do it. Spawn of Jacobs. <laughs> Kyle from Australia says, during the final scene of episode three where Jon Snow hangs the Night's Watch traders, I had a thought on the direction that a show could go with this plotline. With the Lady Stoneheart storyline possibly not making it to the HBO series and the show's history of combining characters or condensing numerous book storylines into single character storylines for the show, a.k.a. Martin's Razor, do you think we could see a colder, more merciless Jon Snow with characteristics and similar story arcs to that of the resurrected Catelyn Stark, a.k.a. Lady Stoneheart? We could potentially see John heading south towards Winterfell with his red priestess and band of wildling companions, bringing Bolton Loyalist on his way to reclaiming the north, while Sansa and Davos can rally the rest of the northern houses that are still loyal to the Starks. Do you see a slightly more vengeful Jon Snow possibly being the much more vengeful Lady Stoneheart um, in the show? I mean, they
1: wouldn't call him Lady Stoneheart, I don't think, but... (laughs) Well, I mean... uh, Maybe. I mean, I'm still really pulling, just because it's cool for Lady Stoneheart. But, yeah, I mean, John is clearly on a mission at this point to yeah to get up to no good in the North. Uh, actually, to get up to good in the North. Mm-hmm. So, I, I assume we've got a big clash at Winterfell coming very soon.
0: And I guess it just comes down to how you saw that final scene, because I did not see that as John excited or vengeful at all it was very much of resignment and sorrow and i don't even know if he did it except for it's he knew it needed to be done and he believes like his his father or i guess uncle before him that the man needs things that that uh, the man who uh gives a sentence swings the sword. Right. Which, by yeah. the way, oh my god, there is a couple of pedants on the subreddit talking about how they couldn't believe that John hung people instead of beheading them, because that's not the Stark way.
1: Yeah, He's not a Stark, eh?
0: Well, it's true. Uh, not fully one,
1: anyway. N- not not yet. He's about to become one, I think, uh-huh. pretty soon. A Tark,
0: uh, a tar- a Tark. Right and, and what's the Night's Watch way? Because that's what he's doing up there, right? Yeah, like he's be- I mean, that's the thing. He's beheaded before. He has, and, right. but that's the thing. Like, but I don't. You don't have
1: to just because you behead once doesn't have to make you behead all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like get some variety in there. It's a the spice of life. If that's John. the thing that turns you off of the show. Then I can't believe you're still watching. Honestly. I mean, they've burnt people up
1: there sure. alive. Like,
0: yeah. the, the the varied ways to kill people at the wall. But this one, this one. Dick in particular, like, copied and pasted the same fucking paragraph where he just said the same thing about the swing the sword to, like, ten different responses in the same chain. I'm like, oh, Jesus, someone please. Yeah. I did my part. Downvotes galore. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's the thing, like, I've never done this before, but I almost, like, created more accounts to downvote him further, and I'm like, you know what? That's when you know you've had too much Reddit. Yeah. Time to shut down the browser. Yeah. Let's see. Jessica D., Says, in the books, Kevin Lannister gets killed by Varys. Since this is most likely not going to happen as Varys is hundreds of miles away, it seems like the show is creating cause for Cersei-, Cersei to get stabby-stabby. The show has started to create the divide by not allowing her on the council. In addition, I can see Kevin not wanting to go to war with the Faith of the Seven because his son, Lancel, is part of that group. Oh, I, yeah. That's true. I know, it is. <laughs> People forget it. <laughs> I would actually be okay if Cersei kills Kevin as it goes along with her character's need for control, power, and revenge. Uh, what's your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if she's speculating that it has to be Cersei's own hands. Uh she'll oh, probably send, yeah. like it could be a cat's ball, Robert, or, or the, you know. Yeah. Uh,
0: but sure, I, I think she definitely could. Uh, the thing, uh, I guess... So Varys kills Kevin at the end of the last book. And he explains it to cause, like, hey, look, man, you're actually a decent Hand of the King. You might turn this around, and I can't have you doing that, so you're dead. Wow. And it's a really cool scene. I kind of want to see it, and they've made the narrow sea, like, I know we've talked about it being that people kind of hop back and forth across it at will. And I kind of would forgive them if, and this would be, like, more of an end of the season thing, I think uh to to have king's Landing get thrown into uproar i am fine with with him coming over like it can it can be implausibly short amount of time like if they need right. to warp time and space to make that awesome scene happen i think it's i think cersei's completely like the way you lined lined it out here jessica this makes a lot of sense i'm just mm-hmm. hoping that we get to see Varys put the crossbow into his guts the bolt uh, in his guts
1: i i've got another option or maybe it's for poison
0: you. i can't honestly remember yeah Varus has his ways. Yes, he does. Uh,
1: another option, a guy who is a lot like Varus uh, and is closer is Littlefinger, and Ooh. he has access. Right, right. he Specs can get back finger. in no problem. Yeah. Uh, maybe he could do it. He's got for the same reasons, roughly, right? Yeah. Like I'm trying to take down the Lannister thing
0: for sure. my own reasons. I Kevin, want, I want to see myself on the throne. You might. You're too yeah. good. Too you got go.
1: Maybe I don't know. He's
0: closer anyway. Uh, Nicole S., I see Grand Northern Conspiracy written all over to Umber's decision to bring Rickon to Winterfell. The show is moving faster than the books with this theory. What better place than Winterfell to showcase the last remaining male Stark heir? Umber refused all traditional ways of submitting to his overlord in exchange for presenting a gift. No bending of a knee, no oaths to keep secrets, just the gift of Rickon Stark. By bringing Stark home, they are perfectly seated to overthrow the Boltons from inside and place Rickon in the seat giving the Grand Northern Conspiracy a place to work from. We may have to see the Umbers play friendly with Ramsey for an episode, but with Jon renouncing his watch and heading south uh, is the only way you can go. Winterfell will be on his radar to help Rickon's cause, especially if you meet Sansa on the way. Uh, have we talked about the Grand Northern Conspiracy in any kind of detail? I don't think so. Because here's the problem. I think it was either a two or three part podcast series the last Jesus. time I touched on it. Because it's truly sprawling, and it's one okay. of those things where the devil is very much in the details. Like a plain reading of the count does not lead you to. Well, it definitely there's there's definitely the 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 first step reveals are a lot more subtle. But there, I think there's a couple of two step reveals, um, especially um, the one that's most notable is Lord Manderly essentially gives a speech to Davos. Because uh, Davos is trying to rally all the northern lords to Stannis's cause, because Stannis is still alive at this point. And, uh, you know, he goes and this Lord Manderly, who's a stark loyalist, is um, entertaining Freys and, like, you know, overtly showing his support. But when he gets behind closed doors of Davos, he says, this is all bullshit. My son died at the Red Wedding and it's murder. I don't give a shit what these Boltons and Freys say and I've been patient, I'm biting my time, but soon this farce is gonna be done, the North remembers. And it's like every you know, like all the book readers are like fucking about time. But so just to sketch it out, there's this there's this theory that all the Northern Lords are working together with other key people in Westeros. One is the Perhaps Howland Reed as the High Sparrow. Mm-hmm. there's also this thing that Lady Stoneheart has taken over the Brotherhood without banners. and then so Jamie's got this arc where he goes through the Riverlands to bring like this is after the War of the five Kings. He's essentially bringing all these lords back into the King's peace mm-hmm. by making deals and crushing rebellions and whatnot. He first steps off at the uh, uh, in the uh, Riverlands. And he goes to the Tullys, which is being... Their, their castle is still being held by the Blackfish, the elder uh, cat's brother. He's still flying the Stark banner and everything. Uh, so Jamie treats with him, and he, he organizes a surrender of the castle. Um, but at the last minute, the, the Blackfish jumps into the river and swims underneath the gate and escapes. Uh, so people, they, that's, a, that's a card that's still in play. Uh, also, there's a couple of people, like, for example, the, the person mentioned one of uh, Ned's uh, uh, men-at-arms that was with the Brotherhood Without Banners that he sent to, you know... Man, I don't know where to stop devolving. This is why this turns into a 2 podcast right. thing. <laughs> Ned sent Beric Dondarrion with a bunch of his dudes and other lords to go bring Gregor Clegane to justice in Season 1, as he does in the books as well. Okay. Um... That became the Brotherhood Without Banners once Ned was executed. They decided, like, fuck, ah. fuck all the nobles. We're going to look out for the little guys. And they kind of became the Robin Hood of, of their time. Uh, there's a couple of characters. There's one particular, a bard, that shows up hanging around the camp of some Lannister men that Jamie goes to visit. And there's also the Ned Stark's uh, man-at-arms that shows up at Winterfell, uh, the Ghost of Winterfell theory. There's also a plot that I do not believe is in the TV series... Where Rob is, before a big battle, is worried that what would happen to my house if uh, I was dead. Because Bran and Rickon are too young. Uh, Sansa and Arya are kind of in the wind. And he writes a royal decree that all of his northern men and and mother witness that legitimizes Jon as a Stark and names him as his heir. Hmm. Now then, ne- then Rob dies, and no yeah. one knows what happens to the will. But the the gist of the Grand Northern Conspiracy is that uh, there are key Northern people who know about this will and have possession of it, and they're going to try to make John the King of the North. There's also some sub, some some offshoots that say someone's recovered Rickon. Uh, because like Lord Manderly sends Davos off, he's like, if you can bring me back Rickon, my my liege lord, then I'll listen to your your. You know, I might consider helping out Stannis. Mm-hmm. But there's some people to say that that is also that's just a, a, a plot that the Manderleys are using to throw Davos off the true intent, which is to put John on the the Iron Throne or not the Iron Throne, the King of the the Stark Throne. Yeah, so. Again, there's a lot more textual evidence in the books about all this stuff, but that's the general kind of plot for the Grand Northern conspiracy. Okay. Uh, and in this, like, I, I'm. So everyone's trying to see this Umber thing as a way to fit that in. And I don't know. I did too, but this week's episode makes it damn hard to see how this is helping the Starks. Right. If it was a fake Rickon.
1: And we've talked about. You know, glamming people and like that
0: but sort of thing. I don't think the Umbers I... can do that,
1: right? But I, like, it's in the
0: world. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The fact that it's actually actual because the thing is, is you know, Ramsey. A lot having of things this... have changed though. Like Little
1: John doesn't yeah. die
0: at the red wedding, and yeah. like there's just a bunch of things that are different here. Sure. And that's what I'm saying. Like it, it seems like they're taking this story as. And the other thing is using some knowledge that I gleaned from the trailers. Is it does look like there's tons of umber banners with the Bolton banners? They're at this. they show in the trailers oh. battle between these guys and the, um, uh, the 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 Wildling army led by John. Which that happened somehow. Um, so it could be. I don't know if this is a situation like remember in Braveheart. Where the Irishmen were sent out to go soften up uh, uh, Braveheart, whatever the fuck his name was, uh, armies and Indians that, is, that is defected, right? Like it'd be yeah. interesting if they like they sent the Umbers as the vanguard to go smash the Wilding army, and they just like, hey, we're Starkmen, we're joining you. Yeah, or
1: I mean, the the most obvious thing. I mean, this is a terrible move if if Ramsay actually goes for this because. Mm. You know, his dad was all about, let's keep the defensive position here in Winterfell. If he sends out all his armies to help with these wildlings, well, we know there are other armies on the way. Littlefinger is uh, probably on route at this point. So he's not going to have anything left behind. And if if the Umbers know this Mm -hmm. somehow, if maybe Littlefinger is doing Mm -hmm. something here with the conspiracy, uh, depending on what you think about whether or not he was trying to help Sansa or not. Right. Uh, maybe he's involved in this and he's purposely putting Rickon in a position where he'll be safe back at Winterfell, and then also getting Ramsay's troops out of the way. yeah, So he can swoop in and and both save Rickon and also take Winterfell.
0: There's also a scene, there's also something in the books uh, a a, a little bit more of a complex version of what happens with Winterfell where Rob sends a detachment of his men back to go kick the Ironborn out and to reclaim Winterfell. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, it's a more complicated name I'm explaining, but I'm trying to condense it for Jim in time. Uh, Roose Bolton sends Ramsay with a detachment, like he does in the books, and uh, it, it, they, they act like they're going to join the Stark men, but they end up turning against them and murdering them all and then laying siege to Winterfell and taking it for themselves, which is kind of what okay. happens. I wonder if it's going to be like the Boltons are going to do that in reverse. Mm-hmm. Like they claim... To be supporting Ramsay, they get on the field of battle, and then they just turn on them and butcher them. Where they, they the Umbers s- kill yeah, yeah, yeah. kill all of
1: Ramsay's troops. Yeah, sure.
0: Or it could be that they're telling the story of like kind of the new younger lords of the North that don't feel a particular uh, loyalty to Stark, and there may be you know there might be some lingering latent anger or jealousy there for various reasons that they've set up or not in the show, and that this is a story of John just having to crush that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing they're definitely saying is, uh, with all this stuff about Roos being like, yeah, we need to keep the defensive position, you're not strategic, like, all this kind of stuff, Roos knows better, Ramsey doesn't, now that Roos isn't there to guide him, I think Ramsey, that's the mistake he's gonna make, is not yeah. not following through on what his father wanted, uh, staying in Winterfell, you know, hold up, ready for a siege, uh,
0: I-, I think that's gonna be his downfall. that That seems to me what the show is saying uh therese m adds that she thinks that with Bra- brand's new you know weirwood vision warging powers that he'll have a vision of rob writing the royal decree legitimizing Jon snow as Jon snark and giving it Jon snark Jon snark <laughs> yeah john snow is john stark okay that's a youtube account too <laughs> john snark uh-huh. it, it probably already exists and giving it to Brendan Tully, the Blackfish, for safekeeping. By the time John arrives in Winterfell, he'll be crowned king in the North. With the North united once again, John can prepare for the bigger war coming. The White Walkers. Okay. So the Tower of Joy is one thing. Do you think if they start using brands, the thing I'm worried about is they start using brands' powers to just answer every little question. That that's going to start feeling like a little, you know, Deus ex, ex machina. Yeah, yeah,
1: I'm I'm with you. I don't know that I want that to be the final. But these word revelations
0: and have to be kind of a somewhat novel and sparingly used, and B, you know, stuff that like it's it's reasonable for us show watchers to not and for Brand to not know that information. But there's no reason why we wouldn't see John doing something this important. It would feel cheating to withhold that information. Whereas the Ned stuff with the Tower of Joy and assist, that was all set up as a deliberate mystery for us to wonder about. Right. This would just be like, oh well, we didn't have the cameras on when John was doing or Rob was doing this momentous thing of declaring an heir and legitimizing his bastard brother. And right, oh it's, sorry, it's
1: stuff we could have seen. Whereas yes. we couldn't have seen this Tower it happened of Joy before, stuff before. Sure. Right. Yeah. So
0: that I think that's the difference, and that's where I, I hope they don't go down that route too too far. Yeah. Um, Naomi says, hey, guys, you may have already gotten feedback on this, but I want to suggest another reason behind the title Oathbreaker. And she included a video on YouTube of the scene where the great John Umber first uh, swears fealty to Rob as the king of the north. At first, you'll recall that he threatens Rob with uh, essentially arresting and hanging him as an oathbreaker against the king. And then John's, or Rob's wolf bites off his fingers and he declares him the king of the north. Okay. But he specifically uses this, that I will, I'll, I'll, I'll have you slain as an oath-breaker. All right, so after summarizing this, uh, she continues, Considering the title of this season, six episode, I think it's obvious that we're seeing the start of a Grand Northern Conspiracy. The title comes from a scene where the Umbers cemented their alliance to the Starks, a scene where not doing so meant being hanged. I know the ladies of Dorne have done a 180 from their portrayal in the book, but I can't imagine the Umbers would change so much between seasons one and six. I think the time will come when the umbers will rise up and remind Ramsay about what happens to those who betray their liege lords. Jim, do you think that Oathbreaker title is actually harkens back to what the great John said to Rob? And that this is like a reversal of this situation.
1: Uh, Maybe. Maybe. I mean, you know, it applies in a lot of different ways to a yeah. lot of different people. It's a thematic thing, I guess. Uh, it could. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That seems like a big ask to... To remember that far back in the show, but you know the internet has an infinite memory, so
0: yeah, you got the book readers already kind of like prejudiced against the Umbers being traitors. But I think if they show the right previously ons, just mm. like they set the st- they set the stage with the star Car Starks by showing essentially six seconds from season three, right? They could do the same thing with the Great John. Uh, Though I don't know, maybe it's harder to show that the Great Johns were the first ones to kind of embrace him as the king um i don't know uh right yeah i but mean but that's going to spoil that's the thing like you know I, I was reading one review where someone said thank god they didn't show Rickon and asha in the previously ons like they had to trust that you'd recognize them because if they did it would spoil the surprise yeah. If they show the umbers being like oh the king and the morph and then the umbers betrayal it'll kind of spoil the surprise cuz right now right and they the book reader in me wants to say, no, fuck yeah, Grand Northern Conspiracy, the Umbers are total Stark men. But the show watcher's like, yeah, but what the fuck? Giving... Like, everyone's saying, like, this is helping the Starks by having... I don't think so, because Ramsey's right. a fucking psycho. Sure. You don't want your kids
1: mixed up He's with Ramsey. He's already
0: Warden of the North. Why that, what, what is... I guess a living Stark could be used as ransom against the other Northern Lords, but that... Right. But by using that logic then the Northern Lords want him to be alive and the 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 Warden of the North. So it's like, yeah, yeah, it's something you can use to threaten him with, but it's also like hope eternally springing alive because there's still a Stark and Winterfell, and we need to figure out a way we can fucking de- betray Ramsay. Right, and I think Roose would have figured this out. Sure.
1: I, I just don't think Ramsey
0: sees it. Well, and even Roose is like, you're going to attack Jon Snow. Mm-hmm. All the Northern Lords yep. will be against us. Ramsay's like, nuh-uh, and then a Northern right. Lord comes up and says, hey, I'll help you attack Jon Snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's,
1: he's he's yeah. being set up as a fool, sure. and I,
0: I think he is. So. Sean from Kansas says, In the show, does Jamie know about Cersei having sex with her cousin Lancel? I don't think Tyrion told him at the end of Season 4. It could be a revelation that will drive a wedge between the two of them again. I would love to see Jamie leave King's Landing and get involved with other characters again, perhaps Brienne. I mean, that's the question. Why? Because that all happens in the books. And in Uh the show, they've had a rift between them, and then it gets healed, and now they're working together. But I feel like thematically, and from a narrative standpoint, Jamie and Brienne have to get together, not in a romantic sense, but in a storytelling, Mm -hmm. you know, finishing their tale together kind of sense. In which in the book is 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 helped by him being pissed off at Cersei and being wounded that she cheated on him and then him going on this mission to pacify the lands and then he eventually comes into contact with Brienne again why I, I maybe it's just that like they wanted to make sure Jamie was prominent in the show the whole time because he's an awesome actor he's a cool character so they're like well yeah. fuck we got to have him plausibly staying in King's Landing instead of i mean they send him on Dorn which he didn't do in the I don't know. I, I really don't know what the fuck they're doing with him. <laughs> it's tough to say. Because I was excited. I remember being excited at him going to Dorne. I'm like, well, that's great. Because, you know, like what he does is kind of interesting in the books. But, you know, if he's actually down there doing stuff. and But then I saw Dorne. And I'm like, well, fuck. <laughs> right. So, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine, Sean. Uh, Genie Ness, I have a weird feeling that the farts was playing homage to book readers in honor of Gareth the Gross, a Tyrell oh, who had been chosen by Tywin and Mace to act as ma- ma- Master of Coin, but who was stopped by Cersei. Garth's claim to fame, besides being good at numbers, was that he was a flatul- flatulent, uh, hence his nickname. Wow. Okay! It, that's a real that's an obscure wink because i did forgotten about that but it's a fact Tywin and mace both are trying to get make him mass with the coin and they talk about him farting a lot god so maybe farts in the small council is a canonical thing that they're just desperately trying to work in
1: okay all right i
0: you know i give him a little more credit that's actually i don't know that you you spoil the moment in the show just to do that kind of wink but Especially when you're just fucking wantonly changing dialogue of beloved characters that people have been looking forward to for twenty right. years we've been wanting to see the Tower of Joy and it's all <laughs> Luke, I'm your daddy. But it's at least it's not apropos of nothing. Like
1: there's a reason for it because it's in the book. Oh yeah, okay. Right, for having farts in the, the inner chambers of the Because there's a Landing, lot of like... silly
0: shit in the books that Martin does for okay. Just like in you know, jokes and like one one, for example. It, he's a New York Giants fan. The the you know the, the One storied... one is? No no no. George R. <laughs> R. Martin. Thank you for being the second person in the room that catches me when I do shit like that. Uh, so Martin's a New York Giants fan. Uh one of the most storied quarterbacks in Giants history, at least until Eli showed up, is Phil Sims. Hmm uh whose jersey number is eleven, literally one one. Okay. And Martin said that oh yeah, that's totally there's also like a a Bill Belichick joke about some evil force in Westeros uh in I I believe maybe I maybe I just want that to be true secretly. Okay. But I, I feel like there's a Bill Belichick joke in there as well. Um so yeah, he's not above doing things like that and this might be a reverse wink. Right. I don't know. Um, but yeah, still let's, let's make that be the last fart in the, uh, you know, if, if history is great conversations in elegant places, <laughs> farting in the small council chambers is not, not great history. <laughs> right. Uh, oh boy, this is a tough one. Guillaume K. as I think, how you pronounce that name? Guillaume? Guillaume. Guillaume? Is it Guillaume? I would assume, yeah. G-U-I-L-L-A-U-M-E. Yeah. Is Guillaume? Guillaume. Guillaume? Guillaume? Uh-huh. Okay. There you go. Thanks for saving me again, partner. (laughs) Uh, I was wondering what they are going to do with Gilly's baby in the TV show. In the book, she's taking Mance's baby with her and Sam on the way to the Citadel to avoid Melisandre's flames. It's the old baby switcheroo. Okay. They're worried that Melisandre will burn Mance's baby, so they leave Gilly's baby at the wall, and she takes this fake baby with her. (laughs) In the show, I think they totally avoid that part, and she's taking care of her own baby, uh keeping mance's baby alive seems to be very important thing for john and might still come into play in the books possibly in the books but in the show i that to me that tells me this whole thing with mance and the baby switcheroo is not going to amount to a hill of beans does mance have a baby in the show not in the show in the books okay there's a wildling princess that he's that he's gotten child with gotcha
1: so it doesn't seem like they're doing any of that in yeah. the show.
0: And I think that what John really cared about is making sure babies don't get burnt in the fires, so... Seems like a decent thing to do. That part of his character, is, is a caring part, is well-established in the show. I don't, you know... Right. He's trying to get gilly. I mean, it, it all. I think it all tracks clean. But I do think it means bad news for any man's baby theories. Uh, Brent H. said, Part of the prophecy of the prince that was promised is the notion of being born under a bleeding star. Um, and you'll recall in in the previous seasons of the Game of Thrones, they made a point about there's a there was a red comet uh, during the War of the Five Kings. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people suggest that that you know that's the sign of when this Messiah is coming. But Brett's got another theory. At the end of the Tower of Joy scene, shows a young Ned Stark walking up the stairs, still holding a blood-stained dawn. Which I'm going to talk about here in a minute. Assuming we're soon to see the R plus L equals J theory confirmed inside the tower, this could be a partial proof that John is Azor Ahai reborn. Okay. So, part of the prophecy is he's born under a bleeding star. The thing that's interesting about Sir Arthur Dane is he, he holds the title Sword of the Morning, which is this kind of like the first sword of bravo steel where he is a special title for their most the family's most skilled swordsman and as part of that office he carries the in, their ancestral blade called dawn now dawn is not a valerian steel blade but it's kind of just as cool it's actually hammered out from metal recovered from meteor hmm. um which they referred to as a shooting star Their and their 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 keep is called starfall uh, their sigil has literally, like, a comet on it, like a, like a falling star. Uh, so, if you got this, and, and, and I, I watched this carefully, because at first I thought, well, Ned just took his own sword, but he, he kills Arthur Dane with his own sword, and in the, in the show, they make it clear that this is, I think, Dawn. They don't acknowledge it, but it's got this, like, starburst on its hilt, its blade is etched with all this fancy filigree shit. I think it's supposed to be the special sword. Hmm. Uh, and Ned drags it up the stairs, and it's dripping with blood. So, like, I don't know, it'll be a show thing, but it's kind of cool if it's a book thing that what what fulfills the prophecy is Ned going up there with you know this bleeding star. I think that's that's there's something to that. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, good good catch on that. Uh, Ishmael P. Oh, that's so. That's the other thing is some people think that Dawn is uh, Lightbringer, which is the sword that the princess the the prince that was promised is supposed to carry. I don't know what this does for that theory, because the show has not, I mean, other than the prop guy giving a shit about making Dawn look cool, they haven't acknowledged the fact that it's special in any way. Okay. Uh, It's not, again, it's not Valerian Steel, but it's said to be, like, its own kind of special and considered as good as Valerian Steel, if Hmm. not a little bit better. Uh Ishmael P says I'm currently trying to wrap my head around the metaphysics in Game of Thrones and one of the issues I'm having is understanding what Leaf meant when she told Brandon Mirror that the magic used to resurrect the whites doesn't work here. Does that mean that there's a spell that neutralizes White Walker magic or does it mean that the annihilation of opposites occur when the magic of the children clashes with the White Walker's magic? Do you have like before I weigh in here, do you have like a gut feeling on this?
1: Sure, it's magic. It means literally <laughs> what it Why what am I it asking? says. It yeah. doesn't work in this area. Like Yeah. Who knows
0: why? Uh Do You have insight into this? just in the books they mentioned that there's like special warding spells, which is a thing in fantasy. Okay. Um and in both the wall and which is why the White Walkers sent that dead body. Like that dead body couldn't the that tried to kill the Lord Commander in season 1. It couldn't walk on its own. The Black Brothers had to drag it back to Castle Black, when and then it reanimated and hmm. went to go kill him. And a lot of people speculate that's because there's a literal uncrossable barrier there. Okay. Uh, also, the white, uh, the cold hands, the the derangerish white uh, white that escorts um, Bran and Mira and Jojen in the books to the Cave of the Three-Eyed Crow, he also cannot cross the wall. Hmm. He has to wait uh, for them to come across and, and get through their own self, and then he meets them on the other side and takes them. So there is some evidence that the wall is special, and then whatever's special about the wall uh, also applies to the Weirwood cave, that the, the maybe the Blood Ravens power protects them both? I don't know. It's, again, like I said, it's magic. We'll see if they make something uh, of it from the show. Tomer P. says in the books there's an arc to Jaime's character that makes sense. He loses his hand, that gives him pause. He goes back to King's Landing, starts his life from fresh. He star- stares at the white page in the white book and wonders what he can accomplish with his life. Not as a young and vain Jaime who thinks he'll just be the best fighter and all the other things will fall into place. But as Handless Jaime who understands that the vows of knighthood sometimes conflict and who lost his ability to fight. Who must make a plan and make a mark on the world using his Lannister cunning and his position as Lord Commander. He's hurt by Cersei's betrayal, the only woman he's ever loved. He sees she's losing it when she's in trouble, and he realizes that he has to move on. He's also furious about Lancel, the kettlebacks, and the moon boy, for all he knows, fucking Cersei. In the show, Cersei confesses to sleeping with Lancel, but Jaime doesn't seem to care. She's clearly off a rocker, but doesn't seem to mind. Uh, He doesn't seem to mind. He had a scene with Joff and the White Book, which seemed like a pivotal moment. In season three, he had this amazing sequence with Brienne in the bath and that he was on the road to be reinvented. So why is he now cooperating with Cersei? Doesn't he tell her... Why doesn't he tell her to go fuck herself when she he wants to join the small council? If he didn't bring Cersei, his uncle Kevin might have accepted him. Cersei doesn't even have the right to be there. And what is this jokey business with Sir Gregor? Is he now just a tag-along clown to make jokes around Cersei's anger? Why is he toying with him? Why is he being an idiot? What's the purpose of this character in the show anymore? I All good he, questions. I think he has a fair point. Like Jamie mm-hmm. seems to have lost the plot of his own damn plot. Yeah, and I'm kind of surprised that three episodes in, like, okay, you sit him down to Dorne. Three episodes in, what the fuck is he doing? He's on Team Lannister. That can't last. Yeah, and I would
1: say like he's there to execute on the revenge for Marcella, but I, it seems like Cersei could do that. Yeah, on her own. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. He, he, like, I'm becoming less interested in him as time goes on. Like, I, it's a bummer. He used to be one of my favorite characters. Sure. Now it's just kind of, eh, he's there, and he might come back and do something cool soon, but... That sucks, man, because he
0: is one yeah. of the better characters in the books, and... You're stuff. right. They need something for him to do, and it's been like a, a good moment. Like ever since he came back and raped the queen over his son's body, right. like he's been a fundamentally less interesting and kind of on hold character. I guess, like I, I imagine the double Ds will be like motherfucker. We sit the in the Dorn Dorne stuff, sure, but and I'm like, well, we didn't care about Dorne, yeah, so- and all of it was kind of bad. So <laughs> sure, yeah, that's that's the response to that. Uh, Gretchen says, now that we've finally seen and Reed looked like when he was young, did anyone notice any likenesses to the High Sparrow? <laughs> uh, I did not. and In fact, the age seems like it just cannot possibly work. Oh, really? Oh, I mean, did Yeah, he, like, he's, that guy to Ned. Did he seem like he was the same age as Ned? It seemed to me.
1: Yeah, roughly, yeah.
0: Whereas the High Sparrow looks like he's a good 20 years older than Ned. For sure. Um, so... Now, if he lifts up his robes to expose himself to Tommen, because he's that kind of high priest, uh, and he's got a big you know, knife wound in his gut, well, mm-hmm. then maybe Howland Reed's back on. But then why is Howland Reed molesting boy kings? <laughs> and why is he aged 40 years why, and 20? Well, <laughs> you, take, you take a knife wound from the Sword of Mourning, and that, that really ages a man. Maybe so. But no, nah, it does seem like that is more of a cool theory that's not actually going to be true in a show.
1: Maybe they'll recast a Sparrow next season, the High Sparrow. There you go! He'll be 20 years younger and then all of a sudden, here comes Hall and
0: Reed. This was the Sparrow the dingy version. They need the <laughs> right. they need a younger, beanier, brawnier Sparrow next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, played by Sean Bean.
1: <laughs> oh god, that'd be confusing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Scott R. says, I have an overarching question as to what you guys think Gurm's involvement is with the series at this point. He stepped in to write an episode here or there in the early going, but it does not seem to make any further indication of that. Is he too busy with the winds of winter? I guess that makes sense. Do you think there's any possibility or even preference by Germ and the Double D's to see the next books released after the series has ended to just avoid ongoing comparisons with the show as it is airing? I've also heard you talk of Germs' three-stage reveal in the books and how it is hard to execute with the number of podcasts and after shows out. I mean, I didn't figure out R plus L equals J, but I heard about it now, and I'm just expecting it and will be shocked if it does not pan out. Do you think that George is sick of this exposure and would want the books to stand on their own as much as possible going forward? I think this would be more possible at least once the series is over and regular coverage of the show on a weekly basis has subsided. So there's two parts in this. His involvement, it, I
1: honestly can't speculate.
0: Like now, I, I don't know anything about it. He has been so. George Martin started as a television show writer. That's how. In fact, really, uh, I think what did his, he write? Uh, uh Beauty and the Beast, the old, the like old uh, Linda Hamilton or? and uh, who's the guy that played Hellboy, Ron Perlman joint. Oh God! Yeah. Okay, uh, that he got to start. He got to start with that and. Um, so he's a te- he's, he's he, he wrote scripts before he wrote novels, is what I'm saying. And I know he's enjoyed writing for the show, and he, he wrote episodes in the first three, maybe four seasons, before, you know, Winds of Winter just was dragging on and on, and he mentioned in his blogs that he's not writing an episode, and he's severely curtailed his con appearances and all this other stuff to try to focus up and get the Winds of Winter out. So I don't think it's, I hate the showrunners and what they're doing with my right. shit and fuck all them, because he's... Always been complimentary and kindly, and he's been to all the premieres and whatnot.
1: Can you imagine George Martin in the writer's room? Like,
0: George, we hired, yes, we hired you to do the
1: finale, but it's like due tomorrow. Yeah, we're shooting tomorrow. Uh, you, you've handed in three pages. What is this? Yes. Yeah. Like, you've released all of this shit on the internet as preview chapters. I'm a a gardener, and the (laughs) things
0: haven't sprouted yet. What are you going to do? But we need it. We need it, George. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so I don't think there's any bitterness or maliciousness. Now, the second part of this question is much more interesting. Is there a gentleman's agreement between Germ and the Double Ds that he's not going to release any more books until the series is out? Just because at this point, it would be a clusterfuck. Like, oh, now the book's going to leapfrog. It's like a fucking horse race. Who's yeah. going to, you know, we know the show is going to finish first. But well, the... that's
1: three years from now. Three? Well, like, t- t- two 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 and some change. Two and ten weeks. Two okay, and two sure. and eight weeks. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. That's a long time that for have a book. book to, yeah, a book that people have been anticipating for five years to be delayed another two. I feel just like, for that is.
0: I feel like if this show completes without the Winds of Winter being released, I'm going to assume that it's the books will never be finished right? by Martin.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. To delay this book. Yeah. So I I hope that's not the case, although I could see why you would want it to be the case. Given, yeah. G- yeah, I mean, can you imagine the plot inconsistencies that would happen in both the book and the show and like
0: And it's kind of like the worst of you both worlds. That. Like, you know, it's, it, it's you're kind of a ripping the band-aid moment off here where the fans yeah. are like, "You know what? Fuck it. We're going to get the end of the story and then we can get the expanded version because the show even when it's successful is always the less nuanced and political right. and adult of the two it's it's, uh-huh. it's the highlights right just because of the format sure yeah uh, it's not a slam it's just like it's 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 different um so i feel like releasing a book in between the run of the show at this point is going to be the worst of all worlds because yeah. now it's going to be polarizing again because i feel like 90 percent of the fans are like well fuck it it's it's the, the, the books the books the shows the show if you start mixing it up i don't know I don't know, because all these, like, it's not as good as the books. And now it will quell some stuff. The people that are bitching about Stannis burning Shireen, Uh, like, that stuff is either going to happen in the books, or it's going to happen in a way that you can see, well, that was a good way to adapt it, or it's going to not, in which case that would really stir up the shit. Like, if that's (laughs) just more shit that they're doing, like, I don't know. Yeah.
1: It almost might be smarter to wait, but... People aren't going to be happy about another two-year delay on the books. Well,
0: no, and not some of the people that will not be happier. The publishers of his fucking book, you know. Maybe what
1: they what he should do is and his agent and his pocketbook over the next two years write the damn books, keep them in his pocket, and then release them both. Like just boom, mic drop, double release,
0: yeah, double or do it like a year apart. Why wouldn't you just release them both? Like just double your money. Just wanted to on
1: the. New York Times bestseller yeah, list.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I, that that would be an interesting idea
1: because that would be. I mean, because it would give him time, right? Two two more years, maybe he could pump something out if he.
0: Well, because it's it really seems to tries. me that the end should be easy to write. It's always been like he's, and this is something he's always said. Like you know, the beginning really flowed. You know, the end is going to be, but man, getting getting everybody to where they need to be. Once you get them there, it seems like it's just you got these pins set up. It's time to knock them down. I guess. Um, I can't imagine writing the end of something if you've had it in mind all along. It would be the harder. F- so I really mm. do like if with wins coming out, I think you're two, three years away from the Latin. Now, I could be naive, but I always thought it's like once wins gets out. You're two or three years away from the, the final book. But on I, I guess I would have said that after Dance of Dragons <laughs> is over, too, because he said the same fucking thing about Feast and Dance. Like, oh, it's the Miranese knot, and I'm all knotted up here, and I, I got Danny here, and I got these people there, and I got the better being, you know? Yeah. Like, so that seems like he didn't get all of his knots unknotted. So I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. It's a fucking weird situation. Yep. And we'll see. So I mean I guess if like the wins comes out right after the final season, is that evidence that there's a gentleman's agreement?
1: It, it maybe it might be some small support for it.
0: Yeah. I'd... Until they until someone spills the beans. Yeah. Like I it just it I think that George I I always like to presume good faith. I think George will release the damn book when as soon as it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't see any like yeah. In a perfect world, they'd, they'd hold it, but, like, this isn't the perfect world, and I can't see any of the interest aligning to where that would... He would just sit on it for that long. Yeah. It's just don't... I mean, for nothing else, he's just the, the fan expectation, if he cares at all. Even if he cares 1%. <laughs> Follow the money, Aaron. Yeah? The truth is out there. Sure. <laughs> well, maybe the latest Panama Files will have indications that uh, these are all stored in offshore accounts. <laughs> the books the books They're the all... books are in safe deposit boxes yeah. in switzerland uh-huh. Uh-huh. or something he shit. made the devil he made the devil's handshake when he signed with hbo oh, man hbo's not television god damn it. just think book readers you could be reading them right you now could. if not for hbo and the double d's i call for a boycott <laughs> maybe some faceless men uh no <laughs> good god do i need to make sure that everyone knows that's a joke that i'm not advocating killing anybody
1: Okay. okay yeah just, just want to
0: make sure for the disturbed people that's out done. there that uh you know might want to break into jodie foster's house and say she's your <laughs> wife and girlfriend like that's specifically not
1: cool. you forrest whitaker yeah we know you're out there we know you're a fan
0: uh all right that's all i got if you like to send in more uh we got the game of thrones at dot email mailbag we got forums at dot where there's a the spoiler speculation galore uh, that's also where you can find the correction thread if I fucked up, and I know I have. Uh, but thanks for everybody for their support and for listening and for downloading, and especially for all the word of mouth we're getting. Uh, everybody rate and review us and mention us on the different forums and subreddits and whatnot. Uh, that helps a lot, and we have really blown up, and it's, it's all because of people like you. So yeah. thank you very much. We'll be back Sunday night for the Instant Take. And then we'll be back Tuesday for the full coverage podcast. and Boomerang back on Friday with the spoiler Edition. Give you know.